Welcome to the SureDog Radio Preview for UFC on ESPN 26, Makachev versus Moises, also known as UFC Vegas 31. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com, and with me is Keith Schillen. Keith is the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network, where he is the creator of numerous shows, including MMA Legacy, Getting Too Personal, and, of course, the Shillin and Duffy Show, where he is the host of the post-event recaps. Keith, how are you doing this evening? Dude, I'm doing great, man. I, I think I'm really refreshed because I don't think we've had any MMA recently. Like, I, I don't think MMA has been in the news at all. I've <laughs> uh, been very, really quiet. So it's nice to finally get back to fights and, and a massive, huge card like we have this weekend. You know, it'd be nice. I think maybe ESPN will pay attention to us this week. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, of course, is being ironic here, but uh, really, after the, it's always intense. Uh, you know, a Conor McGregor fight card, whatever happens, it's always intense. You're, it's always a bit of an emotional roller coaster, whether you personally are emotionally invested or not. This uh, past weekend, UFC uh, 264 was no exception, and to me, it just feels like a hangover. Just the lights are too bright, the noises are yeah. too loud. And this is the perfect card to just kind of soothe you out of that. This this is like your your cup of coffee and your couple of ibuprofen the next morning. Yeah, like it's not it's not asking much of you. It's pretty pretty light fare. I mean, it's only an eleven fight card, which in in this era of 13, 14, 15 fight cards, that's nice. And then it's pretty light. I'm not going to say like the talent level because there are talented people on on this card, but. On the divisional relevance level, we were talking about it before we started recording. You can make a good argument that the main event is the only fight on this entire card where the winner is guaranteed to be a top 15 fighter at the end of the night. Yeah, that's that's rare for a UFC card. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a there's a lot of difference between this card and the last card. I I love the word hangover because when you were saying that was the exact word I was thinking of. Um, but I wonder if this card is like, you know, you have that time you go out with your friends and you're like, yeah, I'm going to party it up. And we, you go to this, you know, frat party and you drink as much as humanly possible and then you puke in. And then the next day you're saying you're never going to drink again. And then later that afternoon, your buddy's calling you saying, hey, let's just go to like one bar. And we'll have we'll have two drinks. We'll call it early. And then the next minute you're, you're waking up at 3 a.m. and you're like next to some like random fat chick. You know, one of this cards could do that to us. I, I certainly hope not. That, that's quite a, a picture you paint there. <laughs> no. So, uh, so some of the contrasts, obviously, like you mentioned, rankings wise, you know, the last card mattered a lot more. Star power wise, you know, the biggest star on this card, name value wise, is a, someone who hasn't fought, and I think it's like five years. In, in it's Misha four, Tate. yeah, but four yeah. years. Sorry, four years in Misha Tate. Uh, so. Yeah, and, and even that is not really get drawing any high headlines. I thought it, I thought we'd get a lot more attention than it's getting. It's kind of flying under the radar, you know, former champion coming back, uh, fan favorite coming back. But you mentioned that the the betting lines are, are kind of really all over the place. It's, it's very wide. I, I like to remind people that sometimes the, the betting line doesn't always mean how the fight will, you know, turn out or what they expect to turn out. The betting line is based on how Vegas – can make the most money possible to get you to bet. Well, obviously that's pretty close with the lines, but that negative 200 favorite suddenly turns into a negative 300 favorite to get you to bet on the underdog more and stuff. So 
just you know take that in mind because some of these fights that I think that the lines are really big, I think should be much closer. I I agree in general, and you know obviously the lines exist to insulate the bookies from risk and try to drive action on both sides, but it's based on who they think is going to win the fight. Uh, I was talking yeah, with Sherdog associate editor Jay Petrie with this about or, or about this earlier today. He's obviously the guy I go to when I'm like, hey, can you remember the last time that blank? Because the headliner here, Islam Makachev, is currently sitting as a minus 600 favorite. He's That's a six to one favorite. And I asked Jay, when is the last time we had a UFC headliner that wasn't a title fight or a short notice uh, booking that was that big? of uh that was you know like that big of uh, yeah. a gap that big of a line because with with a title fight yeah you have to make the fight you have to make you can't yeah, be concerned absolutely. about the line so i mean every time valentina shevchenko fights it's yeah, gonna man. be a headliner and it's usually gonna be more than six to one uh in the last five years like the john jones versus tiago santos john jones versus anthony smith Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Ally Akinta, which was both a title fight and a short notice booking. Kind of, kind of. Uh, yeah, Demetrius Johnson versus Wilson Hayes. Demetrius Johnson versus Tim Elliott. I mean, the only one that wasn't a title fight was uh, Cub Swanson versus Artem Lobov. Really? Yep. That's in the last five years. Wow. And, I, and again, I'm looking at. I, I I always go to best fight odds to see all the all the lines, different websites, and FanDuel as of right now. Now it's. Wednesday night, it's 10.01 p.m. on the East Coast. Islam Akshets is a negative 850 on FanDuel. Now, all the rest are about 650, 670, some as high as negative 700, but only FanDuel is negative 850. Wow. Which, which, which is really insane. That is, and I mean, we'll get to that when we get to that sure. actual fight, you know, why the line is where it is and what we think is actually going to happen, but... Uh, that's, a Bellator, that's a Bellator prelim line. <laughs> well, this is I was that was the context in which I first okay. brought this up to Jay is that, hey, you know, you can criticize the UFC's matchmaking. There are plenty of things to point out about it. But generally speaking, you don't see six to one favorites at the top of a card. It's not usually that transparent. Uh, having said that, there are a couple examples on this card of uh, let's get this guy a win fights. But I. I'm going to start talking about every fight on the card randomly if we if we yeah. don't get started here. Hey, Anything? Let me, <laughs> let me give you one nugget before we actually get to the fights. Please. Cody Law on Bellator 262, which I'll be in attendance, so you want to check out all the post-fight interviews, go over to Sherdog YouTube page. Pretty much right after the fight, and you'll see the interviews. But Cody Law right now is a negative 1,500 favorite on a, on one, one uh, card. I can imagine putting up $1,500 to win 100. No. Oh. No, I, I mean, that's just called a savings account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, just like leave your money in the bank. <laughs> yeah. Good grief. And it, it's better to leave your money in the bank because you never know when your bank's going to be Aaron Pico and that like, you know, that's minus right. 1500 actually d doesn't pay for you. <laughs> so, right. oh man, shall we get into these prelims? <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. Uh, first up, we have a heavyweight matchup between... Alan Bodo and Rodrigo Nascimento. Uh, Bodo, the 33-year-old Frenchman, is eight and two overall. He is 
Uh, 0-1 in the UFC. He made his debut back in October at UFC Fight Night, Moraes versus Sandhagen, where he got thumped by Tom Aspinall in about 90 seconds. Uh, he'll be taking on uh, Nascimento. The 28-year-old Brazilian is 8-1 and overall. He is 1-1 one one in the UFC uh, after debuting out of Season 3 of Dana White's Contender Series. He debuted last May at UFC on ESPN Overeem versus Harris, where he choked out Dante Mays in the second round. He then came back in October at that same fight night card as Bodeau was on and got knocked out in about 45 seconds by Chris Dawkins. You may remember that card as the one where three undefeated prospects lost in a row in very quick fashion. It was kind of a shocking night of fights. At any rate, uh, the odds heavily favor the Brazilian to uh, turn things around here. He is minus 350. You can get Bodo at plus 280, plus 285 or so. Uh, I probably have fewer thoughts on this one than you do. Uh, so I'll just, I'll go throw a couple things out here real quick. I'm kind of surprised that Bodo is back at heavyweight. He was a lightweight, or sorry, a light heavyweight uh, earlier in his career. He made a short notice uh, debut at heavyweight. Uh, against Aspinall while he weighed in at like 250 I mean it it wasn't it wasn't 45 pounds of quality weight that was on him he looked like a guy that could and maybe should uh drop back down to light heavyweight but nonetheless he is not he's still at heavyweight and he is at heavyweight against a big dude in Rodrigo Nascimento uh Bodo I mean he's a he's a teammate of Francis Ngannou and uh, in some ways, he's kind of like crappy Francis Ngannou. He's kind of like, you know, Brock Lesnar versus like Chris Tuckshare, where like he, he doesn't have the Adonis. It looks kind of the same, but doesn't have the Adonis body and just isn't quite as good at most of the same things. He does have good uh, knockout power, or I mean, at least he did at light heavyweight against people in Europe. We don't know here, but unless... Nascimento just completely pisses this fight away. This should be pretty easy for him. My problem is he might completely piss this fight away. A uh, good thing about uh, Rodrigo Nascimento is for a big dude, and he weighed in at 265 on the dot uh, for the Dawkins fight, he moves quickly. Uh, good, uh, He's a good offensive wrestler. He's got pretty good entry. He's just you know, quick on his feet, coordinated, really strong guy, and uh, just good top position grappler. He's He's heavy on top. Uh, looks for the submission, but you know doesn't mind softening people up with some some big old canned ham fists. My problem is going into the Dawkins fight, he's got a dude across the cage from him that he outweighs by literally forty pounds, and he knows what Chris Dawkins does. Like Chris Dawkins's way, he's going to beat you is to stay in his preferred uh, boxing range and punch your face off, and he somehow let him do it. Like how how did that happen? And that makes me scared. Like I I. I'm so tempted to go with an upset special right out the gate because the one thing Bodo could do is just tag this dude with something silly in the first 10 seconds, which is basically what Chris Dawkins did. And and it's all over. I do am it, picking. Do it. I, I'm chickening out. Fajera is, uh, or Nascimento, he's a young guy. He's at a good team. He's obviously got uh, good handlers. They will have drummed into him what he needs to do right off the bat in this fight. I hope and expect that this thing, that this fight will be on the ground within 15 seconds. Uh, and give me Rodrigo Nascimento by first round submission. Yeah, Rodrigo Nascimento should not be a negative 300 favorite against anybody. 
like you could they could drag my out of shape body in there, and, and obviously he would murder me. But like he should at least, you know be only like negative three thirty <laughs> favorite against me. Um, so that's been a, he he is pretty good athlete, but like you said, I, I think that's at light heavyweight uh, his movement. But I think that I, that will incre- like increase as he goes up. He should be faster as he goes up. But then you worry about the power. Like, will the power follow? Uh, Southpaw, he, he keeps his hands way too loud for my liking, especially considering he doesn't have the best defense. He does hit hard. Like I said, we don't know if that's going to tr- transfer back up to heavyweight. And he swings wild. He just he, he throws from his hips. Uh, he tends to throw hard in every shot looking for a knockout. But he keeps his chin high in the air, Huge target with his hands low. Uh, if he closes his distance, he 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 will fight in the clinch. But I've seen him get out muscled in the clinch uh, when he looks for a takedown. But if he can get a trip, he's pretty solid on top. Uh, he also can get takedowns from distance. He'll shoot on your hips. But pretty good ground and pound. Slick submissions. He's got six submissions on his record now. Bordeaux, uh, he he's a striker. He's 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 very busy. But there's no, like, rhyme or reason to his busyness. It's just kind of, like, chaos. Uh, it's very unorthodox, wild. He uses some feints, but doesn't really answer them. He feints and then doesn't do anything. He'll, he'll feint and then throw, like, a spinning back elbow that doesn't hit. He also needs space to land his shots as, as you, the kind of weird strikes coming at you. But when he settles down, he's not too bad. He has some hard leg kicks. He's not a great wrestler, but I have seen some nice judo trips in the clinch but when he's on top he has weak top control doesn't really keep his opponent down i do like his creativity though like one fight he was on his feet and his opponent was on the ground and he was kicking to the body of a downed opponent which was you know creative to to, to understand that you could kick to the body which you almost never see but his takedown defense was really weak i mean we he, he tends to look for a switch instead of a sprawl like he's look, he, when the guy's on his hips, he's trying to reach over and switch, which hardly ever works against anybody with any kind of grappling skills. And we saw in his last fight, like Tom Aspinall took him down, and as soon as the, the they hit the canvas, Tom Aspinall went right to the mount. So that worries me. Now this this could be a fun fight though to start the the night. They're both wild. They're both very aggressive, throwing big haymakers. However, I'm with you. I'm in agreement. I'm taking Nascimento. He just simply has more avenues to win. I think both guys can land on the feet and, and get a knockout. But if anybody, if the fight goes to the ground, it's probably from Nascimento. And Bedeau looks so bad on his back that if Nascimento takes him down, I think Nascimento submits him. And I actually think that's what's going to happen. I think Nascimento takes him down. And I'm going to say Nascimento submits him in the very first round. There you go. Two picks for Rodrigo Nascimento by first round submission to kick off the UFC on ESPN 26 card. Next up, it's the flyweights as Francisco Figueredo, the younger brother of the former flyweight champion, Davidson Figueredo, takes on Malcolm Gordon. Figueredo, uh, the 31-year-old Brazilian, is 12-3-1 with one no contest overall. He's 1-0 in the UFC, having made a successful debut at the expense of Jerome Rivera via unanimous decision back in January at UFC on ESPN, Chiesa versus Magni. He'll be taking on Gordon. The 31-year-old Canadian is 12-5 and overall, 
He is 0-2 in the UFC, having lost to Amir Albazi last July at uh, UFC Fight Night 172, and then having gotten knocked out in just 44 seconds by Sumudarji at UFC on ESPN 18 in November. Odds on this one heavily favor the Brazilian. He is minus 310. You can get Gordon at plus 255, even plus 260. Keith, uh, how do you feel about this fight? And how do you feel about Francisco Figueiredo in the division generally going forward? It's a, it's a more relevant question now that his brother's not the champ anymore. Yeah. Let's just have Moreno face him now. Let's get let's get his you know the revenge out there. Let's you know make it a family affair. Uh, now he's 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 a guy that came off the contender series and and I liked him, but I don't think he has as nowhere near the ceiling his brother has. Like I'd be shocked if he gets much higher than like a top ten guy, and th- and that's more just because flyweight's shallow. Like there's easily ten guys probably at flyweight right now that I would feel very comfortable picking him. Wait, he, was he on the contender series? Yeah, he was. Oh, was he? Oh no! Is it? Did I just do tape study and I just assumed he was on the contender series? I, you yeah, know no, he I, came straight out of jungle fight. Oh, there you go. You know what? Sometimes I would. I remember doing a lot of tape study on him, so that's why I assumed he was a contender series guy. Uh, so he's a southpaw, though he he's one of these guys that really does fight out of both positions a lot. As I mean, a lot of guys switch positions, and and that's the kind of thing I've I realized when I kept writing the notes about everybody that I was like, I, I just have to. Uh, Stop saying it. But he's one of the guys that truly, you never know what stance he's going to be in. He's a pressure counter striker. Uh, he's not, he's not a great athlete, and and it's really unfair to compare him to his brother because his brother's skill set is much much higher. But uh, he's not, he's not a great, level, you know, high level athlete. He's not really as explosive, but he's pretty accurate striker. I'll give him that. He's probably more technically sound than his brother. He doesn't have a lot of tells. He doesn't really load up on shots like his brother does. Uh, he works behind a jab. They kind of kind of weird. He has his hands out. He keeps them out a little bit more, which is weird. Obviously, it gives you the target to come down the middle. But they come from a different angle, which surprises people. Uh, I like his secondary strikes, though. He's got this little short, tight right hand when he's in the orthodox stance that I've seen him have a lot of success with. Uh, when he steps into range, he likes to throw hard power shots, kind of like his brother does, but not to the same crackingness. But I like that he throws like knees up the middle, Step in knees, uh, knees to the body, hard kicks uh, followed with his punches. He mixes in the kicks and the punches as well. And I like what I know. Sometimes he'll throw a kick and follow his kick with a punch instead of the other way around. Like almost uses a kick like it's a jab. Uh, he also loves a flying knee. Like when he when if you if you back up towards the cage, he kind of uses that as a as a as like knowing his distance, knowing that you can't back up any further. So you hit, he knows where his range is where he has to hit, and he'll, he likes to throw in a flying knee. And actually, I'm surprised that more people don't do that enough because it is definitely an effective thing when you know they can only really go side to side to avoid it. Um, but he has two major holes defensively. One is he keeps his chin really high in the air, and the other one, he drops his hands. So when you have a chin high in the air and you drop your hands, you really, really have to rely on on head movement. I like that he'll sneak in a takedown, but he's not a, he's not a, he doesn't shoot. He doesn't power through the hips like his brother does. And, and I, it's funny when we were going to talk about Figueredo, one thing I said to myself, don't keep comparing to his brother. I was like, don't, it's not fair. And then all I've done is the whole time is compared to his brother. Uh, he more of a guy that he'll either like catch a kick to get a takedown or he'll just run forward and, and hope to like you back against the cage. And then he just, you know, ends up on your hips 
and kind of pulls you out that way. He's not a guy that, you know, shoot on your hips and drive through or shoot on your hips and cut a corner. He's not a traditional wrestling style. But what I like, especially in his last fight against Joe Rivera, he showed really good top control, uh, which I didn't really see it that much on the regional scene. And he's got a good submission game. He's got seven subs on his record. I would say he's a weak defensive wrestler, though, but he has a good get-up game. When he has been taken down on the regional scene, he's, he's very hard to hold down. One thing we were saying about him in his last fight was that he has weak cardio. We've seen him gas in fights. That, that, I think that was a little more early in his career. Like, last couple fights, he's... He's been able to press hard. He's just one of these guys who looks like he's tired. Like, he takes a lot of breaths. He looks up at the clock. He's one of these. But he doesn't really stop fighting. Like, he doesn't his, – his output doesn't drop as much as people think it does. Now, Muo to Malcolm Gordon, he's a pretty good athlete. He's um, pretty aggressive. He's, he's pretty fast with his hand speed. But he's got a really weak chin. Uh, he's got four knockout losses already in his career uh, for someone who just recently came to the UFC. Uh, he wants, he really wants the, he, he, he'll box you, but his, his plan is always to get the fight to the ground, but he's not a wrestler. He's, he's kind of a weak offense wrestler and he's a very weak defensive wrestler. He just, he's just relentless, kind of very similar to Figueredo where he just kind of wants to bull you back. And then when you get to the cage, just drop down your hips and, and, and kind of slowly get a leg behind you, pull you out that way. But if he gets the fight to the ground, he can get a submission. He has six wins by submission, but he's more of a guy that, that, He's not the slickest grappler. He's more of a guy that just work you on the on the ground for a while, and then when an opening finally finds himself, he gets submission. And a lot of those submissions came against much lower level competition. So, as far as predictions go, I've probably been talking about this fight way more than I should. This is simply a matchup between a guy that I think is a UFC level fighter and a guy that I don't think is a UFC level fighter. I've said that about Melvin Gordon as it, both his fights in the UFC has has not looked good in either one of them. I think Figueroa is a much better striker. I think he's a much better grappler. I think he has the power advantage. He's a, the bigger guy. I think he picks him apart from range, sneaks in a few takedowns. And you know what? I was going to take Figueroa to knock him out because of Melvin Gordon's chin, but we haven't really seen Figueroa as a big cracker. So I'm going to say Melvin Gordon. Uh, Melvin, I'm saying I'm thinking about football. M- Malcolm Gordon. Malcolm Gordon. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I take Figueroa to knock out Melvin Gordon too, but. Um, Give me a Figueredo by uh, unanimous decision. Outstanding. Uh, I'm feeling a lot of the the same that you are here, and their relative strengths and weaknesses being what they are. Like, if I knew that Figueredo was going to walk out and just actually be active and try to put it on Gordon, I I'd call first round knockout like in a heartbeat. Uh, my question with uh, calling for the knockout is the the same as yours. You know. He's even more deliberate in pace than his brother is, and now I'm comparing him to his brother too. And you know, we've talked about his brother as a, a pressure and snipe type guy. You know, who's who, you know, kind of manages his gas tank by by waiting for, uh, you know, the perfect shot. I love that you that you, you know, talked about Gordon's chin because I agree. Like his chin is a problem, especially because his fight style asks a lot of his chin, but. There's two different kinds of of bad chin fighters. There's the guy like you know like Luke Rockhold or late career Chuck Liddell, where if someone hits him in, in the right place, they're just out. It's smelling salts time. Malcolm Gordon, he's more like a a Frank Mir, or if you you go back, oh here's the Wayback Machine, a guy like Dennis Kang, where once somebody hit him cleanly, it's like all the wheels fall off the wagon, and he just doesn't looks like he wandered into the wrong bathroom. Like you know he like turns his back and starts to 
to, you know, like shuffle away, just like kind of looks confused. Like, why is this happening to me? And next thing you know, he's taking like 11 more shots to the face and it's all over. That's Malcolm Gordon. Like that's basically the Sumo Darji fight right there. And uh, even though uh, he got worked by Amir Albazi mostly on the ground, what really made the wheels fall off the wagon was the first time Albazi hit him hard on the ground. Then all of a sudden, like he just like, forgot how to grapple. You know, it's kind of like the uh, the old Hicks and Gracie thing. You know, take a black belt, hit him in the face, he becomes a, a purple belt. Like, yeah, like he knocked Malcolm Gordon all the way to white belt with like one good elbow. Uh, those are things that I can definitely see Francisco Figueredo doing to him. The only question is what kind of sense of urgency he's going to have. <sighs> going into his first UFC fight, uh, Figueredo versus. Um, what's his name that fought, fought last week? Uh, Jerome Rivera. My my main question was, as a guy who also fought at bantamweight and had been off for like a year and a half, was he even going to make the flyweight limit? What was he going to look like? Uh, you know, again, probably a case of his brother setting expectations for him. He looked fine at flyweight. Uh, I expect he's going to look fine here as well. And, man, they're setting them up for success. You know, he they had him debut against Jerome Rivera. Rivera that, he gave Rivera his second straight UFC loss. Rivera just took his fourth straight UFC loss. Now he's going against Malcolm Gordon, who's 0-2 in the UFC. I think he's going to send him to 0-3. At some point, they're going to have to give Francisco Figueredo a real live UFC quality flyweight. I'm pulling for that to happen next. But until then, I'm going to say that he does do enough to get this done. Give me Francisco Figueredo uh, by second round knockout. You know, we shouldn't compare the two brothers. Because in fairness, one of the brothers is on a winning streak in the UFC, and the other one is on a losing streak. That's true. Like, uh, you know, Davison needs to, you know, kind of get things together. You know, stop, stop bringing shame to the family name. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I legit am interested to see what happens if neither of them is the champ and they're both working their way up the ranks. But that's a question for at least a few months from now because we're not going to learn anything about this Figueroa's championship potential from what he does to Malcolm Gordon. It's funny because you you would think with one of them used to be a bantamweight that's moved recently moved down to flyweight and you feel more comfortable about him at flyweight just the weight loss, you know, weight cutting. We've seen mm-hmm. figure out a miss weight several times and then also like even when he has miss, made weight, he looked like his last fight against Brandon Ray, he looked extremely flat. But remember he was like the last guy to weigh in, just barely made it, you know. Of course, pad you know, like, an excuse. Yeah, they might be at flyweight for a very short time because Davison, they might they might be forcing him to move up. What? Which which I actually think would be really bad for him because some of the advantages he has at flyweight, like this, here we go, go way off topic, but a lot of the advantages he has at flyweight, he won't have at Bantamweight. Agreed. And it's like, a different division, too. It's a very different division, and the, the just physical bully potential he has at 125 will not be there at 135 exactly. absolutely yeah not. you know when you're looking at dudes like just rob font types are just going to be so much bigger than him the ufc vegas 31 prelims soldier on and it is a bantamweight matchup between miles johns and anderson dos santos johns the 27 year old out of fortis mma is 11 and 1 overall He's 2-1 since joining the UFC out of uh, Season 3 of Dana White's Contender Series. He fought most recently last October at the UFC's Halloween Fight Night card, knocking out Kevin Natividad in the third round of their matchup. 
that allowed him to bounce back from the first loss of his career, a second round knockout at the hands or at the knee, really, of Mario Batista at UFC 247 in February of 2020. He's taking on uh, Dos Santos. The 35-year-old Brazilian is 21-8 and overall. He's 1-2 and in the UFC. He lost his first two UFC bouts against Nad Narmani and Andre Ewell. Uh, came back from those and choked out Martin Day in the first round with a guillotine at uh, UFC on ESPN Smith versus Clark last November. Uh, I alluded off the top that there aren't a whole lot of uh, close fights on this card in terms of the betting odds. This is one of the relative few as Johns is minus 160, uh, Dos Santos plus 140. Keith? Uh Tell me about Miles Johns and tell me about Anderson Dos Santos. Tell me anything about him other than the obvious, which is that he sounds like somebody just made up a Brazilian fighter name. Yeah, yeah. So, so Miles Johns is a guy that I like. Now, that's a guy who did come off the contender series. Yes. Uh, you know, former LFA champion. I was really high on him coming in the UFC, and I've been a little disappointed. I've been disappointed in his gas tank, his ability to pull the triggers. He, he he's not. He list looks like a mid level UFC fighter. Well, one. Point. I thought this guy could be. A, I don't know if he was going to win the title, but I expected him to, you know, maybe be in the top 15 rankings. And uh, obviously, there's still a lot of time for him. I hope he turns the corner because, you know, I like my wrestle boxers. So he's a wrestle boxer. He's small, short, compact guy. Stays fights with behind a high guard. Stays really tight. Kind of reminds me of a of like a Chad Mendez, but without Chad Mendes's big, big power. Now, though, Johns has some pretty good power himself. A lot of feints, follows a, a stiff jab. Uh, he follows his jab to slide into the pocket, unload big hooks and uppercuts, kind of throws everything into his punches, almost knocks himself over when he, as hard as he throws. When he telegraphs a lot of his strikes by doing this, by throwing so hard, instead of just letting it come with him, he's just he's a short, stocky guy, and the power's there. He doesn't really have to overdo it. Uh, but when he does connect, he puts your lights out. But as I said, he can be a little gun shy. We've seen him like scared to pull the trigger. Uh, he's often looking to land the perfect strike. And he's either gassed out a little bit where he's and because of that, maybe that's why he's slowing down his pace because he does he doesn't trust his gas tank anymore. And then he thinks if I'm only throwing one strike, that's why I have to throw hard. But there are some things that like hard light kicks, though he doesn't really check light kicks. He really struggled with the the range and, and the movement of Mario Batista, which could be a similar problem in this fight, as, as Dos Santos is a little similar to Batista. Uh, not, not nearly as polished as Batista, but I mean, uh, size and movement. Uh, but John's also, he's a good wrestler. He's got some fast entries. Uh, he'll either shoot on your hips or just catch a kick. Really good at scrambles. He's really strong. If he grabs a hip, it grab your leg. He likes to pick you up and slam you. Heavy ground and pound. I don't like how he defends takedowns, though. A lot of times he won't defend a takedown. He'll actually like look for a guillotine, a barbell truck. kind of has that team alpha male in him, which is probably why it reminds me of, of Chad Mendez. But because of that, he loses positions to weaker wrestlers. Uh, and he makes a mistake. He gives up his back to get back up, which hasn't af- affected him yet, but that's going to happen. Like He's going to give up his back next minute to get submitted by someone really good. Now, Dos Santos, Dos Santos is not going to let john's throw one strike and sit back because dos santos is a pressure he's a pressure brawler like he wants to get in the pocket and throw hard shots like we could have a lot of getting the pocket and both guys throwing heavy right hands 
uh, Anderson Dos Santos, he reminds me of a his striking, I should say, not him. His striking reminds me of a very poor man's Dan Henderson striking. And what, I mean, and what I mean by that is he's just a guy who falls in love with his right hand where he wants to just get in there and just whip this overhand right and, and, and knock you out. But that's where it ends with Dan Henderson. And he doesn't have Dan Henderson's power. I just want, I just mean, like, when people know what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about a guy who's just looking for the overhand right. Weak takedown defense. Uh, well, actually, let me go back to the striking defense. Weak striking defense. I mean, this guy, like, graduated from the Chris Martino School of Striking Defense where he does not move his head at all. He just walks forward and gets jabbed. Uh, as far as wrestling, weak takedown defense. He does look for takedown to self, but doesn't really set him up. He kind of just dives in on the hips instead of instead of shooting a drop step, similar to what I was saying about Malcolm Golden and stuff. Just kind of want to, you know, he doesn't really shoot on, just kind of reaches. But if he gets you down, he's a good grappler. He's got 12 submission wins in his career. I mean, a lot of, most of those were, I think, all but one of them were on the regional scene. So take it as you want, but 12 submission wins is still 12 submission wins. So I'm as far as the prediction goes, I am disappointed in John's, but I still favor him greatly in this matchup. I think he's the faster fighter. He definitely has that crushing power, which can, even when he's losing, he could, uh, you know, right the wrong with one big shot. He should be able to land takedowns fairly easy against Dos Santos. I think Dos Santos best chance is probably catching a submission, maybe a guillotine or something with, when Miles John shoots on his hip, but I just don't see that happen. I think I think John catches him on the feet with a big shot, uh, and I think I think I'm gonna say John's knocks him out. I'm gonna say John's knocks him out. I'll say the second round, and right now I'm looking at. I think you said what he's a negative one eighty eighty eight favor. What would you say? One sixty minus oh, one sixty. Negative one sixty. Yeah. Sorry, negative one sixty. Um, I wrote down negative one eighty eight. That was must have been earlier in the day. Like I like those odds. And you talked about this line, you know, the lines tonight being all over the place. This is one of the fights you actually can bet on. And because of that, I'm going to, I think John should be a bigger favorite than negative one eight. So I'm going to lock this in as I think this is my best bet of the night. I want to remind everybody as I do every week though, if you're following my bets or any bets, please bet responsible. Don't bet your mortgage. Don't bet on Cody law at negative 1500 on Bellator. But if you do bet, you want to put some money on it, please do it responsibly. There you go. Uh, I, I like your breakdown here. Um, I'm with you. I was high on Johns coming in to the, the UFC. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, you know, you really liked him because he beat Richie Santiago, the Milford Mala on the Contender Series. And we all know how much, you know, you hate New England MMA. So like that, that elevated your expectations. For me, it's that he had a great uh, title fight with Adrian Yanez uh, back can in I, LFA. Yeah, please. Can I jump in one second? Yeah. Richie Santiago is, is Chris Martino's main training partner. Hey. There you go. Everything goes back world. to small world. Small, small. Hey, and they're both from Milford. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, right before that, the the fight that got him the call was a, a great five-rounder against Adrian Yanez, who obviously is not just in the UFC right now, but is kind of taking it by storm. You know, he's one of the brightest faces in the uh, in the Bantamweight division right now. So I was really high on him coming in, and, you know, the Batista loss was, you know, it was a, a little concerning, but I thought he looked great against Kevin Natividad. Now, now, he was set up to look great against Natividad because he's just a slightly better version of all the things that Natividad does well. He's just a better wrestler, wrestle boxer, a better, uh, a better athlete probably, and a stronger guy. But I, I'm with you. I, I don't see where Dos Santos offers much here, other than yeah, 
catching a, a guillotine on the way in, which will certainly be much easier if Johns is shooting because he's hurt. Or you mentioned, uh, you know, <clears throat> you know, if, if Dos Santos get can sweep him and Johns, you know, turns his his back to escape, uh, he's you know, Dos Santos has uh, good back control, good rear naked chokes, but those certainly aren't the most likely way this fight's going to go. This one is built for for Johns to win if he'll just, you know, uh, fight smart and fight to his potential. Uh, give me Miles Johns by uh, by decision. Should be a, a fun fight, not an absolute barn burner, but if Johns is smart, it won't be as exciting as it could be. He shouldn't yeah, make this any point. more exciting than it has to be. But that's a, that's a really good point. And and in fairness, I, I'm, I was probably picking on Miles Johns more than I should have. He only lost one, you know, one fight in his career. But a lot of people thought he should have lost to Cole Smith in, in his UFC debut. And, and to fairness, I know he he did suffer an injury against Richie Santiago. I think it was, was I want to say an knee injury. So, you know, I, I should be giving more of a pass than I am. But Yeah, there, I mean, there was a, a pretty good gap there between his contender series appearance and his actual UFC debut when normally the UFC is like, ah, yeah, three months from now you're, you're in the cage. So No, 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 no. There was – Maybe it was, no, hold on. Maybe it was the Adrian Giannis fight. No, he his his UFC debut was only three months after his contender series. Maybe it was the Giannis fight that he got injured. Maybe that's okay. Maybe, I don't know. I I swear he got injured. I I could be. I might be mixing him up, but I feel like he had like a something wrong with maybe a meniscus. Tear, maybe something small like a meniscus tear, which is not that long of a recovery or something. I don't think it was an ACL because if not, it was an ACL. He'd been out long. I think it was like a yeah. meniscus or something. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe he broke his hand. Maybe that's what was he broke his hand. I don't know. Something something happened to him. I remember that. I'll check. Or I'll I put it like on the screen. I, I might be full of <laughs> shit. I don't know. I apologize. Ah, I'll I'll, I'll check and I'll put it over the screen uh, like when we're talking about this. Next up, it is the bantamweights once again as Khalid Taha takes on Sergey Morozov. Taha, the 29-year-old German, is 13 and 3 with one no contest overall. He's 1 and 2 with no one no contest in the UFC. He fought most recently uh, last November at UFC on ESPN Santos versus Teixeira, dropping a unanimous decision to Hani Barcelos. He takes on Morozov. The uh, 32-year-old Kazakhstani is 16 and 5 overall. He's 0 and 1 in the UFC. Uh, he made his debut in January at UFC on ESPN, Chiesa versus Magni against the super prospect Umar Nurmagomedov and lost by uh, submission in the second round, getting choked all the way out. Odds in this one do favor Taha slightly. He is minus 165, uh, Morozov plus 145 as the slight underdog. Uh, Keith? Is Morozov better than Nurmagomedov made him look? Is Taha better than Barcelos made them look? Um, and who wins? Yeah. yeah, to give you a simple answer, I think yes. I, I yes to both those answers. I think they both. I actually like both of them. I'm glad you said that. Uh, I think it's gonna be a really fun, fun fight. Um, both guys, I agree, got matchups in really tough competition. Uh, but yeah, let's let's get into it. So so Taha, he, he's very aggressive. He uses lateral movement really well. Kind of, he's a moving target. Quick hands. He stays tight between a high guard defense. Throws combos. I love that he carries his base with him. He really steps into his shots. He keeps his legs underneath them, which generates good power. We've seen that on the regional scene. We haven't even saw it in UFC. 
but I expect him to see even more power because his technique is there. Like I expect to see more knockouts coming from this guy uh, moving forward. And even what I also like is we talked about last week about Jeff Maya not giving ground, even though she did <laughs> in her, her fight, but about that's one thing she does well. Like even Taha, when he was absolutely outclassed against Barcelos, and Barcelos was teeing off on him, he still held his ground. He knew that was important. And then when he held his ground, he still fired back big shots. And it was actually dangerous, was still dangerous when he was getting teed off on, which is uh, very few people you can say about. Uh, but because he has such a big base, he do- he is open to leg kicks. That's actually what opened the holes for Barcelos. Barcelos. But Barcelos is the guy that can kind of find that hole where other guys wouldn't. Uh, one thing about Taha, he does wrestle. He he will sneak in a takedown. He's pretty good in scrambles. We actually saw that in the Barcelos. At one point, he was winning some of the grappling exchanges. But he's also extremely hard to submit. When Barcelos had his back and was working for submission, Barcelos is a very good grappler, and he couldn't submit him. And the other thing, and I know he bringing up the Barcelos fight, and even though he's had an all fight, is one, his chin was really impressive that he didn't go down. He's never been knocked down in his career. But also his output. Like, this is a guy that was getting absolutely just demolished, but was still kind of throwing a lot of volume, being competitive. And even though it was a clear decision for Barcelos, I actually thought, like, uh, Taha had some really good moments. Now, we'll go to um, Rossoff. There's another guy I like. He's well-rounded. He's definitely a different style of the striking. He's uh, He bounces more. He's, he's, he's pretty light on his feet. Good speed. De- decent pop. I'm going to say big power, but decent pop. Mixes punches and kicks in well together. Nice leg kicks. Uh, mixes and t- takedowns behind his striking. Like He'll throw some strikes and set up his takedowns. I like his wrestling. Good entries. Good both... In, on the hips, or if he gets in the body lock, like, like for some other body takedowns, he does need to improve his top control. Though he's, you know, he's not, he's not his opponent, Namagamadoff, who's going to hold you down and, and kind of suffocate you. But he has some hard ground and pound, and he has, he has three submission wins. The one thing I don't like about his striking, uh, one, I think he could have a little more power, but also he can have ten, he can tend to cruise. He gets a little uh, Trevin Giles, Jorge Masvidal in him, where he's kind of cruised, but he just simply gets a little gun shy. So as a prediction, this is a really hard fight to pick. Uh, this is a really fun fight. I kind of like both guys. I'm going to go with Taha, though, as is they both took a step up in competition. I still think Taha fought the uh, the better fighter. And I've seen him hold his own against Barcelos in moments, in pockets, in spurts. And, and I'm really high on Barcelos. I, mean, I think we both are. <laughs> I mean, we're legendary for for how high we are. We're the only guy that uh, was unranked. I think we had, you know, Jay, Jay Petri's own uh, running Barcelos. <laughs> but uh, really fun fight. Uh, give me Taha by decision. And I think it's going to be an absolute war on the feet. And you know what? I'm going to make this my fight of the night. Like, I think I think this is going to be the fight that uh, the guys get to 75K. Actually, I think it's only 50K for this one, right? I think they're back down to 50K. Back down to yeah. 50K, yeah. Got 50, yeah. Of course they went back down, but yeah, 50K uh, bonuses. Oh, <clears throat> I I can see everything that, that, you're, that you've laid down there. The thing that I, I've seen as kind of the, I don't know, the common thread running through Taha's now uh, four fights in the UFC is that his success seems to be more or less attached to the extent to which he can just physically like uh bully and overwhelm his opponents like when he is the bigger faster guy uh you know he has pretty easy sledding when he doesn't it it feels as though he kind of runs out of ideas like i agree with you that he put on a good 
he put on a good show against Barcelos, even when he was get, getting it put on him, you know, and uh, <clears throat> and not in the Chris Moutinho sense, you know, but like, you know, actually was still trying to win the fight. And there was still, you know, every chance that he could have landed something or done something. He, he was still there. But against Morozov, I, I have the feeling that that uh, I have the feeling that that Morozov's gonna gonna get the the better of it. Um, I don't really have any more detailed way to put it than that. Like I, I agree with you that it's gonna be a, a real exciting fight, but I see Morozov maybe winning the second and third round and just kind of pulling further ahead as uh, you know as the rounds go on. Give me Morozov by decision. Yeah, this is this is a tough one to pick. I think Morozov's probably the more technical striker. But Tosca got like so much more explosion and power and more output. Yeah, that's gonna be a fun one though. This is one of the ones that I wasn't too excited about, and then I did film study. And I'm like, man, that's gonna be a banger. Mm-hmm. Well, more I I like that you said that because Morozov's fight with uh, Nurmagomedov was better than I remember it being, and then Taha's performance against Barcelos is definitely better than I remember it being. Yeah. my mind just filed that away as like a complete whitewashing by Barcelos. Yeah, me too. But no, no, yeah, yeah so. me too. It's funny, Taha was one of these guys that I still just completely forgot about him. And I'm like, I'm like oh, Taha, like, who, who's Taha? And then I'm like, oh, this guy fought four times in the UFC. <laughs> and, like, got the knockout. And he had, like, a decent showing against Barcelos. Yeah. Yep. Next up, the strawweights take the cage as Amanda Lemos takes on Montserrat Ruiz. Lemos, the 34-year-old Brazilian, is 9-1-1 overall. She is 3-1 in the UFC. Uh, more specifically, she's 3-0 in the UFC since dropping to strawweight. Uh, she fought most recently back in March at UFC 259, knocking out Lavinia Souza in the first round. Before that, her previous appearance was at UFC on ESPN, Munoz versus Edgar, where she took a unanimous decision over Mizuki in a way. She'll be taking on Ruiz. The 28-year-old Mexican is 10-1 overall. She's 1-0 in the UFC. She uh, made her debut in March at UFC on ESPN, Brunson versus Holland, where she took a unanimous decision over Cheyenne Bays. Lemos is one of the Biggest favorites on a card full of them. She is uh, minus 520, minus 530. You can get Ruiz at plus uh, 410, plus 415 as the substantial uh, underdog. Uh, These are two women that I picked against wrongly in their last fights. Uh, When Amanda Lemos took on Lavinia Souza, I knew I was taking a flyer because she was a huge favorite over uh, Souza as well. But I thought Souza might, you know, be able to catch her as she came crashing in, hurt her on the feet. I felt pretty smart about it. Not that anything I predicted happened. Like, Lemos just did her Hulk smash routine on her, and it was over in three minutes. Uh, I mean, Amanda Lemos, she's very much that uh, Jessica Andrade type, you know. She dropped to from 135 to 115 and just somehow stayed as strong as she was. Uh and ever since then, she's had pretty easy sledding. I mean, Mizuki had her moments just because Mizuki is very much a neutralizer. She just takes any fight she's in and kind of like, you know, it doesn't get out of second gear. Uh, but she dominated Miranda Granger and she dominated Lavinia Souza. And yeah, I mean, she, she's a problem for this division. 
it's nice to have Montserrat Ruiz around. I picked against her against Cheyenne Bays. I just saw Ruiz as someone who was coming from Invicta and as a one-weapon fighter. And I don't mind one-weapon fighters, but when one that one weapon is the like head and arm like headlock throw, I'm never going to pick you in a fight. I didn't pick her against Bays. I was wrong that time because it just turns out that Bays was ill-prepared enough that the head and arm throw actually worked like it felt like 15 times. That is not going to work on Amanda Lemos. Like Montserrat Ruiz, you know, she's super short and stocky, like thickly built, powerful. It's not very often that Amanda Lemos has this big a height and reach advantage, whether it's strawweight or bantamweight. But Ruiz's game is to, you know, rush in behind punches so that she can get her hands on you and go for that hip throw. If she tries that on Lemos, Lemos is going to take her back, German suplex her, and punch her lights out in about 30 seconds. Uh, if she doesn't try that head and arm throw, then it's the same outcome, only it takes maybe three minutes. Give me Amanda Lemos by uh, first round uh, knockout, probably on the ground. Yeah, and, and if we get a suplex, uh, it's kind of sad anytime there's a suplex in the UFC and we don't have Jeff Black calling it a suplex. <laughs> The proper, oh, that great? the proper term. The souffle. The, the proper uh, international term. Um, yeah, shout out to the great late Jeff Black. And right now, about 95% of our listeners have no idea who we're talking about. Even though he had one of the biggest impacts in the UFC history, especially the rulemaking and all that. Anyways, back, back to back to the topic. Uh, yeah, uh, Lamos looked incredible in her last fight. She, you know, we know about her athleticism. Her athleticism is off the chop. Her, her hand speed was great. She, she tends to throw from her hips. She's very loose with it, though. Like she, she, she's much different than like Nascimento has his keeps hands on. She's very loose, and she almost uses it to uh, an advantage. Like we talk about, Trevor Giles somehow made it on this show many times, but she works a similar up jab. Uses a lot of feints to kind of set up her power shots. When she steps in the pocket, tight power st- shots. She's a she's a back foot fighter where everything's coming off her back foot, where she springs off that back foot, which really generates really good power. She's got some just she she knows how to use her athleticism with technique, and it's it's a beautiful thing when it happens. She can fight from both stances, so she'll hurt you, then switch stances on you, so now everything's coming from a different angle. Uh, good good power, hard kicks, particularly her calf kicks. I like that she'll like throw a combination high, then finish off low. So she's just kind of batting you so much, and then she'll start kicking you low. You start dropping hands, and she's going over the top. Uh, she was muscled against the fence, as you mentioned against Inoue, but that was not the case against Susan. Now I know they're both completely different style fighters, but it's nice that she she you know it didn't become a trend. You know, it's like a certain fighter can do that. Not all fighters. In fact, when Susan tried to get it to the clinch, she got battered in the clinch. I mean, I mean, she was landing nice elbows in there. I know Lemos, as you talk about German suplexes, she's got judo throws in there. And you talk about hard, hard ground and pound. Now move over to Ruiz. Ruiz, in fairness, she only has one loss, and that's to Danielle Taylor. And she ran through uh, Janessa Miranda. Now, I know Jason Miranda was was a, a girl that a lot of people liked at one time, and she kind of underachieved, and it's kind of been a disappointment recently. But still a really good win to have on your resume. She's a southpaw on the feet. I think she's a better striker than than most people give her credit. Like she, well, I should say she has high output. She'll stay busy. 
She's kind of fast. She's a good athlete. She she tends to she she actually has a little Romero in her where she stays all the way out and then she blursts in with what she you know most of the time she's a she's a brute. Uh, but she lacks head movement. She like she she's the bull. She almost ducks her head and comes at you. But she's a strong wrestler. She likes her upper body takedowns, particularly as you're talking about the the head and arm throw, or most wrestlers would just call it the headlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did it to Cheyenne Baez like 150 times. It was one of those ones where we were talking we were talking about the recap. We were like, I think I remember got really mad again, like yelling about it. Like, but you know, <laughs> it's a really easy defense. Like, even when you get taken down. All you do is cut your hips and come out the back door. It's, 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 it, I don't know. Anyways, uh, but she also took her down, ground and pounded her. She does have two submission wins. She got a key lock off of a scarf hold. So that's kind of becomes, it's like a whole series, that headlock series or the head and arm throw is a whole series for her. I, I like this fight better than it seems like you do. Like, I think, I think this fight is pretty, pretty fine. I like both girls. Uh, Lamos is going to want to keep it standing, obviously. Um, unless she's hitting that German suplex. But, I mean, like, she I, – I shouldn't say she wants it standing, but she has such an advantage standing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she does like to grapple, and she could – like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if she was a grappling matchup. But, I mean, like, she has such an advantage on the feet that she should want it to stay standing. Ruiz is going to want to close the distance, try to avoid Lemos' big uh, blow, especially if she gets in close, watch out for the slicing elbows. I can't see Lemos getting thrown around, like – Cheyenne Bias does. I expect her to snipe her from the outside. I expect that she comes in as a bull, that she's getting blasted, eating jabs, eating maybe even stepping knees. When she starts slowing her down, a lot of kicks, hard body kicks, especially the the, the calf kicks. And I even think Lemos is also going to get a stoppage. I think it's going to be a little later. Uh, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say third round stoppage uh, from just maybe even a standing TKO, just hurting her against the fence and just laying it out on her. Give me Lemos by third round TKO. There you go. Two strong calls for Amanda Lemos to keep the streak going in the strawweight division. The featured prelim at UFC on ESPN 26 is a welterweight showdown between Daniel Rodriguez and Preston Parsons. Rodriguez, the 34-year-old Californian, is 14-2 overall. He is uh, 4-1 since joining the UFC uh, as an alum of Dana White's Contender Series. He fought most recently in April at UFC on ABC2, the Tory versus Holland, taking a one-sided unanimous decision over Mike Perry. That allowed him to bounce back from his first UFC loss, a unanimous decision uh, against Nicholas Dalby at UFC 255 last November. He is welcoming Parsons to the octagon. The 25-year-old Floridian is 9-2 and two overall. He's on a four-fight win streak, all in uh, the Florida promotion uh, combat night, uh, mostly around his hometown of Jacksonville. Uh, he fought most recently in June, submitting Jeff Peterson with an armbar in the second round. Odds in this one uh, do favor Rodriguez. He is a minus 250 favorite. You can get the debuting Parsons at plus 215 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, who have you got in this one and how? Yeah, this is – so this is another fight that I think the lines are way off. This is a good, good fight. Um, Daniel Rodriguez is, both, is a guy that we've talked about. We both liked him on the recaps. I mean, he's southpaw. He's, he's a pressure boxer, fast hands, works behind a long jab. Uh, 
he he drops his hands, but similar to Lemos, where he uses like an up jab, he kind of throws from different angles. His left hook, as we talked about in the past, absolutely killed Tim Means in their fight. He's got serious power. I mean, you look at him; he's got a, like he's he's a bigger guy for the weight class. He just, I, I mean, not many people who makes Mike Perry look small in the weight class, but he did. Uh, he's got serious power. Ask Tim Means, ask Dwight Grant. He, even though he's very technically sound, he's got a lot of speed and a lot of things you like in his boxing. He can be dragged into to a brawl, like he did a little bit with Mike Perry when he was way ahead, and he probably shouldn't. Have, I mean, he was winning him and almost put Perry out several times. But it's it's something that uh, he doesn't have to do. Which is uh, go back to um, oh yeah, Dwight, Dwight Grant caught him in a, in a really good shot. Uh, but he he's well rounded though. He he can sneak in a takedown. I wouldn't call him a wrestler. But um, he does have it in the back pocket. Pretty solid takedown defense. The guys who try to take him down, he, he's not easy. He has three submissions on his record. I mean, he even got a submission in the UFC when he caught Tim Means in a submission. Not a, not an easy guy to submit. So I, I, I like Danny Rodriguez. Now, now Preston Parsons, I like this kid a lot, too. I think he's a great addition to the UFC. Plus, he's really young. He's only 25. Been turned pro when he was 18. He fought Mike Perry when he was 19. 19. Like, we were just, yeah. And you know what? A lot of people are going to look at that and be like, I, I, you know, so, so hold on. Let me back up. Getting knocked out by Mike Perry and looking at it in, from the lens of now, it looks terrible because Mike Perry looks like a, like a really, not even UFC level, really. Low. Yeah. But if you told someone that two years ago that he got knocked out, or two or three years ago that he got knocked out by Mike Perry, it doesn't look that bad. Then if you when you watched the fight when he was nineteen, he was doing extremely well. He was he was winning when he got knocked out. And he was only nineteen. Perry's um, power was so nasty. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, early in his career. Yeah. But this kid's twenty five. So he's at the age where you make big improvements from fight to fight. And they're not even just little steps, they're huge jumps. And I actually see that. You go through his last couple of fights, he looks better. I mean, his last fight, he looked incredible. Um, obviously, there's not UFC level. It's not Danny Rodriguez he's going against looking like this. But it's still really – he had the performance before you get a UFC call that you want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, he's well he, – what he showed is that he's just too good for the regional scene at this point. Uh, he's well run. He has a very Muay Thai style to his striking. Uh, high guard defense, great, great output. He's accurate, throws punches right down the pipe, everything straight. I love that he like he'll he'll I love that he'll throw like two punches high, get you lifting your hands up, and he's just setting up a digging left hook. So he throws one two and then digs underneath uh, with a left hook, which which would do some serious damage, especially as he gets older and he's adding power. You know, as you get older, you 27, 28, 30, you kind of have you know a lot more power. Uh, I also love that he has lead elbows. He's a little John Jones in him, where he'll kind of grab a little bit and then pull in an elbow. Uh, nice snap on his shots, mixes and kicks well with his punches. Lots of kicks too, uh, kicks to the body. He throws, throws a fast high kick. Uh, when I have seen him in trouble, it's mostly because he doesn't like being pressured. He likes to work from distance because he likes to step in elbows. He likes the kicks. Uh, he also doesn't check leg kicks, which obviously we've seen is a huge problem. But if you get in close, strong plumb clinch does really good at slicing elbows in close. Like in, in I'm talking now not the stepping ones, but I mean in close battling, creating position in the clinch, slicing elbow. He likes to um, create space, really uh, throw in some knees. Uh, but he'll mix in takedowns. He, 
he can be a little he, he's a good, he's a good wrestler he'll drive through your hips he's a good wrestler can be a little sloppy in his scrambles because he looks for submission but he's a serious uh threat he's got nine is it, i think is it all, all his wins? yeah all, okay yeah he's all of his wins are by submission i mean this guy's a serious threat now as far as prediction go this fight is absolute fire like i love this fight i like both guys a lot rodriguez has much higher level competition that's no doubt um he surely is the more polished fighter plus he had he's the one with the full camp as he was training for uh another opponent it's really, really tough ass for Parsons to come into the UFC. This is a guy I like, by the way, too. To come into the UFC, uh, you know, one, it's always hard to make your debut. Two, you're going against Danny Rodriguez, the guy that I like. And three, let's make it on short notice. However, this kid is so young, and I love his potential. I won't be surprised if D-Rod puts him out early and this guy's not ready. Um However, I love this kid's output. I love his variety. I love his takedowns. I love his submission game. You're talking about the lines being, you know, so big that it's hard to find an upset special. Might be hard for you, man. It ain't hard for me to find an upset special. I ain't saying I'm going to pick it right, but I'm going big with the upset tonight, man. I'm going with Parsons to win a split decision in absolute war. I think, what'd you say? He's plus 250, 260? What is he? Uh, he's like plus uh, 215. Uh, D-Rod is like minus 250. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is my upset special. Let's go in his debut. I can completely see that happening. Uh, this is a tough guy for Parsons to make a short notice debut against. It, it, he's a guy, and you said it right, like Parsons does a lot of things really well uh, at this point. His takedown game looked really impressive against the kind of guys he was fighting on the regional level. The question will be whether that carries over to someone like Rodriguez, who, again, older, bigger, stronger, has been fighting better competition, Man, that win by Rodriguez over Tim Means has aged really well. Because at the time it happened, I was like, okay, that's it. This 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 promising but kind of late bloomer debuting guy just wiped Tim Means. It's yeah. over. Turns out Tim Means, Tim Means it isn't quite dead yet. And that, like, the more Good guys point. Tim Means just, you know, keeps beating, the better that looks for Daniel Rodriguez. Because it's not Good. just Good that he, like, Great. stunned him and then choked him out in the second round. He put it on in the first, too. That thing was almost over at the end of the first round. Like, that's Rodriguez looked fantastic in that fight. That's right. Uh, like, I I think Parsons belongs. I think he's going to, like, do well. I mean, hell, he might go on a winning streak, like, starting in his next fight. But this is a big ask. Uh, yeah, I mean, give me Rodriguez. By decision, I just I, I think uh, he's just going to be too much physically, and you know at least thus far, Parsons' best route to victory has been to like hold his own on the on the feet, maybe hurt people, but he gets his work done on the ground. I don't think that's going to work on Rodriguez. Like I say, just a big ask. Uh, so I'm going to be chicken, and I'm just going to go chalk here and say, yeah, give me Rodriguez by decision. The five-fight main card of UFC Vegas 31 starts with a featherweight matchup between Gabriel Benitez and Billy Quarantillo. Benitez, the 33-year-old Mexican, is 22-8 overall. He's 6-4 in the UFC. He fought most recently in December, uh, knocking out Justin Janes in the first round at UFC on ESPN, Hermanson versus Vittori. Hurt him with a knee to the body, finished the job with elbows. 
that snapped a uh, two-fight losing streak for him in which he had lost to Sadiq Yusuf and Omar Morales. He'll be taking on Quarantillo. The 32-year-old Floridian is 15-3 and overall. He is 3-1 and in the UFC. Uh, took his first UFC loss in his most recent appearance, dropping a unanimous decision to Gavin Tucker at UFC 256. Previous to that, uh, he had come in out of Dana White's Contender Series Season 3 and won three straight over Jacob Kilburn, Spike Carlisle, and Kyle Nelson. Uh, Benitez, the moderate favorite here, is minus 185. Quarantillo is out there at plus 160 as the underdog. Keith, who do you have in the battle of Benitez and Quarantillo? Yeah, this is this is a fun fight. Um, so Quarantillo is a guy that he he's not a great athlete. Uh, he's not very technical either, but he just makes up for it usually by just having constant pressure. Just make he's he's coming to get into fight. Like this is not going to be a slow, out boring fight. He's a pressure counter striker. His best strike is his counter overhand right. He got some really good power with that. Uh, he constantly working, constantly forcing you on his back foot. But if you can force him, you can kind of flip the tables on him and force him on his back foot. That's where he struggles. And that's what we saw in his last fight against Gavin Tucker. Gavin Tucker really forced him back. Uh, he does have decent power, Quarantillo. I wouldn't say it's earth-shattering or anything like that. But he mixes and takedowns well with the striking. He's a good wrestler. Chain wrestles well is relentless on his takedowns. Even when you sprawl down on, um, he'll continue to work to get that takedown. He can be taken down, though, because uh, he has surprisingly weak top control because he's constantly chasing submission. I know when I did when I looked at the contender series, he was a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. I don't, he, he may be a black belt by now, uh, but when I checked the contenders, he's, he's brown belt. And he has a submission threat. Uh, looks for uh, He's a submission threat, but he has an issue because he plays jiu-jitsu sometimes when he's on his back uh, looking for submissions instead of scrambling to his feet uh and he's taking a lot of damage off his back when he's put that way uh and cardio what used to be a strength and, and i still think is a strength and his last fight did not look that good like that was really surprising to see quarantillo um really slowing down but like you said he was put in a fight that he was not used to he's not used to backing up and if you really don't train where you're getting pressured and you're backing up um it's 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 hard to have that cardio if you're not used to it. It's it's really different. Like people don't understand that part of the game. Like some people can be the bull and some people can be the matador. And when you switch it, both guys it might not work out. Now you know everyone. For example, everyone always thinks that cardio is, uh, oh, if I go really hot out the gate, then I'll gas out. And that's not necessarily like some people. It's the opposite. Like avoiding shots will make you tire out and trying to counter. Uh, and I think that's what happened with Carantillo. Now move over to Benitez. Southpaw, I just said about Quarantillo that he's not a very technical striker. That's not Benitez. He's very technical. Very, uh, he's technically savvy, just veteran-type striker. Not a lot of tells. Uh, very crisp jab. Everything comes off of his jab. He really uses the jab. Not, he uses the jab to hurt you, but also distract you to where he finally launches in with his left hand, which is very accurate, has some good power. I like that he works the body with with punches and kicks, uh, hard, hard body kicks, legendary leg kicks. And, you, you know, on the broadcast, they're going to talk about Javier Mendez talking about he's the greatest kicks he's ever seen. And they're going to say it probably five times. 
he throws the leg kick so much. Remember when he I, I don't remember which fight it was, but he, he cut his leg open and it was like blood was gushing down his busted open shin bone. Yeah. Um, it was besides being gross, it was also like insanely tough because not only was it bleeding gushing, he kept throwing it anyways. Uh I love that he I love that he he's got really good defense where he attacks and then he uses movement so well that he usually is in pop up, low leg kick. And then he's out of range before you can hit him. So he's got a really in and out style, and he can wrestle. He's he's a he's he can wrestle and he can grapple. Though we don't really see it often. It's more of I have it and it's Plan B if I need it. But because he's such a good striker, he really doesn't have to often go to Plan B. Uh, so as a prediction, Quatrillo is so busy that he can make this a really fun fight, and his output will always kind of keep him in fights. However, Benitez is so crisp. I expect him to just brutalize Billy coming in with his jab. And when Billy starts to slow down from trying to charge in and getting, you know, eating punches, once he starts to slow down, that's when Benitez butchers him to the body, butchers him to his legs up, and, and then really puts him out. I expect, like, I expect seeing Quarantello, like, falling down from leg kicks. It's like one of those fights. Give me Benitez. He might get a late stoppage, maybe even from leg kicks. But I, I think Quartel is tougher that he makes his decision. So give me Benitez by decision. And this is one of the fights I'm very confident in my pick. I'm and I'm leaning uh, this way as well. This is one of the ones where I feel the line is at least justified. Uh, Quarantillo's a, a lot of fun. I'm glad that you spotted and mentioned the fact that his cardio did not look like what we came to accomplish or what it, what we came to expect. Because when he beat Spike Carlisle, you know, a little over a year ago, that was that was just a revelation. That was him using weaponized pace and cardio to just beat a, a, a frantic fighter. He doesn't doesn't seem to have that anymore. Like unless just something was wrong in in the Tucker fight. Uh, yeah, Benitez, amazing leg kicks, and you know, not just the you know the newfangled or you know everything old is new again like low calf kick but you know like old school kicks to the thigh as as well just uh and i think quarantel is going to have a tough time dealing with that like i think he's going to be eating a lot of uh leg kicks early and often i can see him like you know having to start switching stances pretty early as it starts to hurt i think it'll uh they'll definitely start to accumulate as the fight goes on and i th- i think you're right as well, like th- this is gonna, this is gonna be Quarantillo marching into kind of a wood chipper for three rounds. Uh, I'm gonna pick that like Benitez actually does get this finished. That just Quarantillo's legs are badly compromised by the third round. Benitez hurts him on the feet. You know, either just gets a, a clean TKO, you know, dropping him from the feet, or chases him down to the ground and finishes it there. But give me Benitez by a third round stoppage with strikes. Next up, it's the middleweights as Rodolfo Vieira takes on Dustin Stoltzfus. Vieira, the thirty-one-year-old uh, Brazilian, is seven and one overall. He's two and one in the UFC. Uh, that one would be the loss he suffered in his most recent octagon appearance back in February at UFC 258, where he submitted to a second-round guillotine choke, courtesy of Anthony Hernandez. Uh, that puts an end to the two-fight win streak with which he had entered the UFC, uh, those being arm triangle choke submissions of Oscar Piahota and Saprovec Safarov. He meets Stoltzfus, 
the 29-year-old uh, American training and fighting out of Germany is 13-2 uh, and two overall. He's 0-1 in the UFC. He uh, debuted out of Dana White's Contender Series last November, dropping a unanimous decision to Kyle Dawkins at UFC 255. Vieira is the comfortable favorite here. He is minus 225. You can get Stoltzfus at plus 185 on the comeback. Uh, in a sport, or at least in a promotion, where everything has to be world-class, Rodolfo Vieira is world-class. He is legitimately one of the greatest grapplers ever to cross over to MMA in any serious manner. Like, I'm not going to count him on my fingers, but I think he's a seven-time Mundial's gold medalist. He's an Abu Dhabi winner. And yeah. for a guy like that to cross over to MMA, like actually in his 20s and take it seriously, not just, you know, take a fight or two in, in Japan or something, it's a big deal. It's why he came to the, U uh, to the UFC with a good amount of hype behind him. Uh, you know, that hype only intensified as he just squeezed the life out of Piahota and Safarov. And then it all came crashing down in February in, frankly, what a humiliating loss to Anthony Hernandez. I mean, in Hernandez, he was facing a guy who, I mean, Hernandez's best uh, skill set is his grappling, is his ground game. So you would think that is just the, like, the best possible stylistic matchup for Vieira, but instead Vieira just gassed himself out in two minutes to the point that by the end of the first round, like he was standing with his hands, like on his knees, uh, you know, just like barely able to stand completely gassed uh, in the second round. Hernandez hurt him, took him down and again, tapped out one of the best grapplers on the planet with a just good old, you know, first week of uh, jujitsu class guillotine. This is Vieira's chance to come back and just get back that shine and show that, okay, that was a speed bump on my way to being, you know, UFC champ two, two or three years from now. This, you know, he, this is, this is his second chance and they've got him against the guy in Dustin Stoltzfus who, I mean, stop me if you've heard this one before, but his best skills are probably his ground game. And so this should be a fantastically advantageous matchup for Vieira because he has the, I mean, he has an enormous advantage there. In terms of, you know, physical strength and athleticism, you look at the guy and he's just bricks on bricks. And it's it's hard for me not to just call for this fight to look exactly like the other again. I need to see, like, I, one, I need to see Vieira and see that he's made any changes from, because uh, from the, the, the body that he took through Mundials in Abu Dhabi. Because he won all those things at heavyweights and at openweight. You know, he won some some absolute medals at uh, at the Worlds as well. And that's just not a body that's going to serve him well as a UFC uh, middleweight. I don't know how much weight he cuts, but if, if this fight gets out of the first round, hell, if this fight gets out of the first three minutes, I'm I'm sticking all my money on, on Stoltzfus. You know, looking back, Saperbeck, Safarov, and Oscar Piahota, those were pretty... I mean, what is Vieira's best win? You know, I'm not, I'm not legitimately asking you that. I'm just like, you know what? Yeah. He's a guy that's come across and just absolutely, like, 
squeezed two sub UFC level fighters until their heads popped off. And then a UFC level fighter survived that and, and tapped him out. Stolzfus, I mean, he lost to, to, to Kyle Dawkins, but he wasn't completely like he wasn't completely out of his depth. And most importantly, he held his own on the ground and he wasn't dead gassed in the third round. No, I had planned on on picking this fight for Vieta, just saying, you know what? He's he's made the adjustments he needs to. He's going to be fine. You know, he's he's not just training with a bunch of uh, yes, man. He like actually trains with Jacare, I'm pretty sure, who should be your guide to, you know, how to turn into an effective UFC middleweight, you know, out, out of being a world class grappler. But you know what? To quote Keith, you know what? If if well, to paraphrase Keith, I'm going to say. If you don't have more than two minutes of functional cardio, I'm going to pick against you every time until I see that you do. Give me Dustin Stoltzfus by decision. He, maybe he loses the first round. He at least wins the other two. And if Vieta gets like truly embarrassed again and gets finished by just a much less skilled fighter, maybe we won't maybe we won't see him in the octagon anymore. But here it is. There's your upset special. I think Dustin Stoltzfus has got this. There you go. That's my boy Ben going with the upset. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I, there's not much to add to what you say. I mean, you talk about Vieira and his, and his wins. You, you said, you know, probably Safarov might be his best win or Pichota, whatever you want. Let's not forget that Safarov hurt him briefly on the feet. Uh, you know, Pichota, not so much. And then Hernandez also hurt him a little bit on the feet. Uh, Vieira's really raw. I mean, we, he, he is, you know, new to the sport where we could see improvements, particularly on the feet. Uh, I'm not betting on it for this. Uh, on the ground, you talk everything is. He's the lead of the elite, but he's the lead of the elite, as you mentioned, for three minutes, four minutes, whatever it is. Uh, no need to write. You've read it all, seven-time world champion and all this. But like he's, he's as good as we've ever seen. But what I like about his game is he's not just a BJJ guy in the sense of, like, they need to pull guard and this, that. He's more of a, we said it last time, a Jacare. I said last time, a Ricardo uh, Arona, where they can wrestle. He, he shoots on your hips. He's explosive. I mean, you just look at his physique. The guy is as ripped as anybody in the UFC. He's like a middleweight Alistair Overeem. Uh, you know, he's he, he's just, I mean, he's... Well, he except, for, except for Ariane Carnalosi. Everyone is second yeah, after Ariane Carnalosi. has her yes. arms and shoulders, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like... like He's also the beast champion, too. Yeah. You know? um, but he carries so much muscle, as you mentioned. He gassed himself. Some, some of it is he gassing himself out from carrying so much muscle, but also he's never really struck before. So, you know, that is the adrenaline dump of a fight. I mean, I'm sure he's much more nervous than he is when he walks in. Even the Abu Dhabi finals, he's probably not as nervous as he is for, you know, UFC prelim because, you know what, fill-in guy, you know, I'm not a big jujitsu guy, but – you know, Haja Gracie's not going to kick his teeth in, you know, or whoever he faces is not going to kick his teeth in, you know. And then you see in his last fight, he gets, you've got one of the best BJJ guys in the world gets submitted by a low level Anthony Hernandez. Not just beat, but actually submitted. Yep. Now you move on to Stolfitz. Uh, he's well rounded. He, he switches stance a lot. He can be a little gun shy, which worries me, especially in a fight like this. Like, he needs to have good output against a guy like Vera. You want to, the big part of your game is to survive and then, you know, kind of like turtle in, turtle in the hair kind of game. Like, let him go off to a high, fast start and just survive. 
and then just slowly pick along like Anthony Hernandez did. Uh, he sits on his punches, really throws his punches hard. His right hand is his go-to. He almost like whips it instead of throwing it. He kind of uh, takes everything. He literally dips to one side when he throws it. He throws in the occasional spinning attack, which I would not suggest against Vieira to do. But a lot of kicks, good leg kicks. He's a good wrestler himself. He's hard to take down, which he's, uh, you know, Vera, I think, shouldn't have a problem taking him down. But at least he's not, you know, completely a can when on takedown defense. Like, he might make him work a little bit. He's got seven submissions himself. You talked about his grappling. It, you know, I, he's creative with his grappling, too. Like, just throw this out there. Not that it's going to matter, at least not early against Vera. But he's he's got knee bar submission. He's got a leg lock submission. He's got twister submission. So just to pull off those kind of submissions, he knows he's competent. But... He's got no match for Vieira, especially early in the grappling. So this, it kind of comes down to three outcomes. One outcome is Selfish just cracks him on the feet and knocks him out. And that could be from tying out. The other one is he makes Vieira work. Then slowly Vieira gasses out like we saw in the Hernandez phase. And Selfish either, you know, takes over, wins two rounds, goes to decision, wins, gets a submission, whatever. But with, you know, Vieira extremely gassed. Oh, the third one is... Is Vera doesn't gas out, gets a takedown, and slowly works him over and gets submission. Now, two out of three outcomes is, is going in Stolfitz's favor. But I think we saw the very worst of Vera. One, two things. Not only was he gas, but he was like, I think, I think if there was like a, if there, you know, you know, like video games where you have like the, the energy bar and then you get to zero, like he went in the negatives. Like, you know, like he was beyond ran out of gas. Like, you know, he was like ran out of gas, and then you have to push your car a mile to to the <laughs> gas station. Like that's how gassed he was. Um, you know, he was he ran out of gas, and then the muffler fell off, and and, and pieces of the car started falling off too. Like it was as bad as you. Know. So could that? Could he learn from that? Well, he's an elite athlete. I mean, this is a world champion, and you know, as you said, seven time world champion. You got me worried more than I should be. Like this is one of those ones I kind of like. Ah, he's gonna he's gonna write this wrong, but you 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 made Don't a lot. Don't let of... me talk you into it. Remember not, the last not, time. Yeah, you... yeah, I know, I know, I know. As I as I was gonna take top of my first round knockout, suddenly I'm not. Uh, but that's hey, that's on me for 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 giving it to peer pressure. I'm not gonna give it to peer pressure this time. I think we're gonna see the best of here. I think he's gonna take him down. I think stylistically he's a good matchup. One thing that Stelfis likes to do, a big part of his game is his kicks. I don't know if he'll be gun shy throwing those kicks, being that Vera can, can catch him. I think you just throw him anyways. Because he's gonna if he wants to take you down, he's gonna take you down. Especially especially early. No, if you wanna not throw kicks when he's gassed, sure. But early just throw the kicks. But I think Vieira takes him down. I think he, I think he just does a much different game. Holds him down, works position, slowly inches. You know, holds position for a long time. Weigh yourself on him. Make him work on bottom instead of you on top. If you have to take three minutes of just holding him down, little pit a pat of shots, slowly inching your way. You know, move from full guard to half guard and slowly make your way. I think he does, and I think he gets a submission. I actually think it's going to happen late in the first round. So give me Vieira, but I am not nearly as confident as I was like 10 minutes ago before you did your breakdown. (laughs) We will see how it plays out on Saturday. Third from the top of the UFC on ESPN 26 main card, it is a lightweight clash between Jeremy Stevens and Mateusz Gamrot. Stevens, the 35-year-old American, 
is 28 and 18 with one no contest overall. He's 15 and 17 with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, he is currently mired in a five fight winless streak uh, with losses to Jose Aldo, Zabit Magomed Sharipov, Yair Rodriguez, and most recently, just back in uh, May of 2020, Calvin Cater, who uh, knocked him out in the second round at UFC 249. There's also a very quick no contest against Rodriguez sandwiched in there uh, in which uh, there was an unintentional eye poke. He'll be taking on Gamrot. The former two-division KSW champ is 30 years old out of Poland. He is 18-1 and one with one no contest overall. He is 1-1 one and one in the UFC. He dropped his uh, debut to Guram Kutadaladze at UFC Fight Night Ortega versus Korean Zombie last October, came back uh, this April, and knocked out Scott Holtzman in the second round at UFC on ABC Vittori versus Holland. Uh, Gamrot is a comfortable favorite here, uh, minus 220, Stevens plus 180 as the underdog. Uh, you can make the argument that Jeremy Stevens should be uh, suspended until Drakkar Close can fight again. I would certainly make that case. Uh, yep. You can make the case that, uh, and you know, we talked a little bit about this uh, off air. That, yeah, to a certain extent, he's uh, been coasting on reputation for a while. I mean, clearly, you know, having lost four straight competitively, he, he's fallen off a cliff, but still seems to carry this, uh, carry this aura of a, a fighter that oh, all of his fights are dog fights. Oh, and he has this power that he can just finish it you know, with one strike at any moment. And really that's off of like one or two, like real one shot knockouts quite a long time ago. You know, I, tell me what you think about that and tell but, me what you think about this fight. Ben, when Jeremy Stevens knocks someone out, they don't fucking move. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Uh, uh, so I, I 100% agree with the jerk car close thing. And I think it's ridiculous that not only was he not punished, that he's making he's doing interviews and saying things like, "Oh, I won because Jakar Close can't fight," and because he was assaulted when, you know, he wasn't prepared at, at a weigh-in. Um, I'd like Jeremy Steve. I like him as a fighter. As as I've in, I I covered him when he was in Boston. He was very nice to me. So I'm not like I'm just being fair. Like he's he's he was a, you know he come come comes off like a dick. But when I interviewed him, he was a very nice dude. Um, very intense guy, but like cool. Uh, but so he's so he's moving up to 155, uh, back up to 155. I think that's a good point of this career, as you said. I, I think his power has been grossly overrated, as as you mentioned. But it, I think it goes with him to 155. You mm -hmm. know, as, as it should, as as, as he's little. He's a pressure counter striker. He does well to draw out feints. To, to land his shots, he loves he loves to brawl it out. Uh, but I, I, as you mentioned, I think his power is overrated because he tends to telegraph his shots. He, you know, he can still crack you. You know, you go go back to the to the Josh Emmett fight where he knocked Josh Emmett out. You know, with a big huge shot. But, you know, I I don't. He's not Francis Ngano though. The 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 broadcast will make it sound like that way. Like it was one of these one of the hardest hitters in UFC history. And that's not true. The stats will say otherwise. But he's, you know, he's got a powerful overhand, right? He he loves uppercuts. I like his leg kicks. Like I think that's the best part of his game is is, is crushing leg kicks. 
though he can be a little bit flat-footed, he's fairly easy to hit. He's He tends to be a stationary target, and he stands directly in front of his opponent. A lot of things I'm saying is what I was saying about Gerard Carlos. I didn't know to update my notes as he did a fight. We already broke him down. But he, 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 you know, he keeps his head on the center line. He's so heavy on his lead leg that it leaves him open to leg kicks, which is surprising for someone who's so good at leg kicks. Uh, and one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is that he's really susceptible to body shots now. Uh, Yair Rodriguez hurt him to the body in their fight. Josie Aldo put him out with a body shot. We think of Jeremy Stevens as this power banger, but he probably does his best work in the clinch. He's a strong clinch fighter. Uh, that he's, I think he's strong based on, but besides you know his physique, but also his personality. Like gets you inside, he's mean. You know, push his head on your chin, um, hit you with a shoulder. Like he's a guy who loves violence. Like, like I agree with that. Like Jeremy, Jeremy Stevens doesn't want to just beat you; he wants to hurt you. But um, he's not a great wrestler. I mean, you go back to uh, was it Frankie Edgar fights? Um, doesn't really look for offensive wrestling himself though he can get some takedowns he got some takedowns on Yaya Rodriguez but if he's taken out he really struggles to get back up I'll give him credit he does have great sub defense it's been like 12 years since he was last submitted and if he's on top great ground and pound I mean think about Yaya Rodriguez is beating him and he still almost got a late stoppage it's funny because even though he he easily lost a fight to Yair Rodriguez. Actually, that was the best, like his best performance of recent date mm-hmm. was a loss that he clearly lost, but to even be somewhat competitive with someone like Yair Rodriguez. And the one thing you can't ever question about Jeremy Stevens is his heart. He will, his heart and his ability, he, even though he's losing a fight, he'll still put himself in it the whole 15 minutes. He throws hard and he's got legendary cardio for a guy who throws as hard as he does and throws, you know, puts everything to it. He'll still be throwing the same heat in, in, in the 15th minutes that he did in the first minute. Now, moving to Gamera, much different fighter than Jeremy Stevens. Southpaw, very technically sound. Long strikes down the pipe. Uh, one thing, so even though Gamera lost his debut to Kudalaza, like, that means says nothing to me about Gamera. It says to me everything about Kudalaza. Like, I'm just like, yeah, Kudalaza is really good. Like, we, we knew he was good, and I was like, no, no, he's really good. Because I still feel the same way about Gamera as I felt before. Like, actually, I feel maybe even better. Like, he's, he's, he's very accurate. Good hand speed. Um, he 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 changes stances. He changes his foot position when he's blitzing in. Which, obviously, if I'm coming in from a southpaw stance and I switch, it gives you a different angle, gives you a different look, and the opponent doesn't realize you switched. And the very very best strikers do this. I, I, anytime I see a striker do this, I'm so impressed. Max Holloway does it a lot. Israel Adesanya is the absolute master at it, and Gamera does it, which I like. Also, he's he showed off his power like in his last fight. He cracked Scott Holtzman, who's you know not an easy opponent for anybody. Put out Scott Holtzman with a big shot. I don't like that he was hurt to the body. Uh, not that hurt to the body. That Kudalaza had success. Kudalaza really landed, kicks the body. That's something that Jeremy Stevens I think will have his best avenue is to go after his legs and especially his body. He also was dropped several times by Kudalaza, which was surprising, but. Besides his technical striking, though, Gamera's a great wrestler. Great entries. If you sprawl on him, he's just going to drive right through. He's good at cutting angles. Gets you down. Heavy top pressure. He's got four submission wins. He actually will drop down. Like, in scrambles, he looks for leg locks. He's he's opportunistic. 
and he, he also has great cardio because you go back to the Kudalazi fight, and that was a fight that, you know, he, I thought he lost two rounds to one. But even though he was losing, he had a late surge and made it competitive, and he actually made it a split decision based on that late surge. So as far as prediction, Stevens has power. He has leg kicks that are always dangerous. He obviously has the, the kicks to the body. Um, and, you know, he obviously has extremely high-level experience. But he has not looked good in a really long time. I don't think the answer to Jeremy Stevens is just move it up to lightweight. I think Gamera is more technically sound. I think he's faster. I think he's the better wrestler. And I think even at this point in his career, he might even have the more power. I don't know if he I don't know if he finishes Jeremy Stevens because that's you know, that's a really tough task. But I expect him to dominate. And I wouldn't even be surprised if we get like a ten eight round. So give me Gamera and give me Gamera by decision and an absolute blowout. Yeah, I'm one hundred percent with you here. And normally I'm a fan of fighters you know like as they move through their mid into their late 30s moving up rather than down in weight as a way to try to restart things but it's problematic for stevens because he trades on power and physical strength and he's just not a big lightweight by modern standards and i mean the guy's been around so long well you talked about you know how long it's been since he's been submitted this is how long it's been since he's submitted the last guy to submit him was joe lozon the last guy before that was dean thomas that's how long it's been. Yes, kids, that gray-haired guy that you see, like, talking in the UFC booth and, like, coaching Tyron Woodley, that guy tapped out Jeremy Stevens. That's how long it's been. It was, like, 2006 or something. Yeah, wow. um, so what was, so when was that Joe Lozano one? Uh, Joe Lozano one, it was uh, 2009. It, they were the headliner of UFC Fight Night, Lozano versus Stevens. He got armbarred. But, yeah, that that's how long this Jeremy Stevens cat has been around. Uh I th- I'm I'm glad that you pointed out the uh, defensive wrestling uh, thing for Stevens as well because Gamrod is a good wrestler, and while he is not exactly a titanic lightweight either, he's going to be bigger than Stevens. He's going to be he's I mean he's younger, less tread off the tires, fresher. I think that by the second round, when you look at this fight and somebody tells you, hey, one of these guys is from Poland and one is from Iowa, it's it's not going to look like you expect. Because the Polish guy is going to be <laughs> running a top position top position clinic on the uh, on the I one. That's a good um, point. I, I and again, just agreeing with you down the line. Stevens, even at this point in his career, is a really tough guy to finish. I mean, Yair, Yair Rodriguez is one of the. He's not a perfect fighter. He's got his flaws, but he's still one of the most breathtaking offensive machines in that division. He couldn't uh, stop him. Calvin Cater could, but. Calvin Cater hits like a truck. Gamrod is not any of those things, but I agree with you. This is gonna he's gonna make this look easy. Give me uh, Mateusz Gamrod by a one-sided decision. The co-main event of UFC on ESPN 26 is a bantamweight matchup between Marion Renault and former divisional champ Misha Tate. Renault, the 43. Sorry, Renault. Turned 44 last month. Renault, the 44-year-old Californian, is 9-7-1 overall. She's 5-6-1 in the UFC. She's currently on a four-fight losing streak, though in fairness, probably all four women on that streak uh, were top 10 fighters at the time she fought them. They would be uh, Kat Zingano, 
Yana Kunitskaya, Raquel Pennington, and most recently in March, Macy Chasson, to whom she dropped a unanimous decision at UFC on ESPN Brunson versus Holland. She is welcoming back the former champ, Tate, from a four-year absence from the sport. The 34-year-old is 18 and 7 overall. She's 5 and 4 in the UFC. We've not seen her in uh, the octagon since November of 2016 when she lost a unanimous decision to Raquel Pennington at UFC 205. Prior to that, she lost her belt in devastating fashion to Amanda Nunes uh, by first-round rear naked choke in the main event of the blockbuster UFC 200. Uh, despite Tate obviously being something of an unknown quantity at this point in her career, she is the slight favorite here. Uh, she's minus 140, Renault plus 120 as uh, as the underdog. Uh, I wrote a little bit about uh, Tate as one of the three fighters under additional pressure to perform at this weekend's card. And it's because this is either a cash grab and publicity ploy or it's a real comeback. And pretty much everybody's going to decide that based on how she looks against Bruno. And it, it's more than just winning or losing. She could win this fight and still have everyone go, okay, I don't care what Misha Tate does now. Or she could win this fight or maybe even lose it and have everyone go, okay, I'm glad to have Misha Tate back in this division. That's what it really comes down to. Because, yeah, she's been gone for four years, but it's not as if the division moved on without her. The last two women she lost to are Raquel Pennington, who's still in the top 10, Amanda Nunes, who's still the champ, she won the belt from Holly Holm. Holly Holm is 39, and she's still so uh, effective that she's basically put a bottleneck on two divisions. Uh, like, she's she's goalkeeping two divisions uh, out of their title challengers. Like, Misha Tate, if, if she wants to do this, it's basically like coming back to your, you know, vacation house, you know, turning the lights on and just, you know, saying, hey, you know, all the furniture is still here. The questions are, how is she physically? I mean, again, she's only 34. She's fighting a 44-year-old. So if she wants to be, if she has put in the work to do so, there's no reason she couldn't be every bit as good physically as she was in 2016, if not marginally better. Uh, but that'll that'll be a question to be answered in the cage. The other question will be, how well has she kept up with the sport? She's been in, uh, involved with the sport. She's been a VP of uh, talent relations for one championship. Uh, for most of the last four years, which is another reason I never expected to see her back in the cage, let alone the UFC cage. You know, she just seemed like a woman who had moved on. Uh, just look no further than uh, Conor McGregor to see what a couple years can do even to an elite fighter in terms of being able to deal with new trends and new tactical wrinkles in the sport. All kinds of question marks. Because of that, I think Renault is actually a perfect uh, a perfect fighter for her to come back against. This sounds like it's going to be Renault's retirement fight, win or lose. So she's going to get the best version of Marion Renault, and the best version of Marion Renault is on a four-fight losing streak, but has been competitive in all those fights, and they've all been decision losses. She's still a tough out. Uh, Renault, obviously, the first thing everybody goes to is her age. I, I think she's actually a little tired of it, but it's the elephant in the room. Uh, it's it's just so rare to see a fighter, any weight class, either gender, this competitive at the highest levels, this late, uh, just, you know, at this age. She looks amazing. Not 
you know, just like she, she's a physical specimen. It's unbelievable what good shape she's in. Uh, she's still, I mean, she's, she is not a plus athlete by the current standards of the Bantamweight division. I mean, she, she has slowed down her hand and foot speed have slowed a bit. Her gas tank is not endless. You know, I mean, she looks like she could run a marathon, do a triathlon, do a hundred pull-ups, but, uh, you know, she does get tired late in fights and she only does that well by fighting at a pretty deliberate pace, uh, early in fights. Like she's, she's made certain concessions to age skill wise. She's good everywhere, but not great anywhere. If anything, I'd say what she's probably best at is being an opportunistic grappler. Uh, you know, just getting advantageous positions, you know, sweeping, uh, forcing scrambles. She's an opportunistic submission artist. If the threat is presented to her, if Misha Tate is still good at the things she was at good at four years ago, this should be Tate's fight to lose. Tate was never a great striker, but very good wrestler. And, uh, you know, a good ground and pounder, good submission artist. Uh, you know, it's just a shame that Ronda Rousey was such a dreadful style matchup for her in both their relative primes, just because Rousey was better on the ground, stronger, quicker, and she was a much worse striker, but it didn't matter because they ended up on the ground. Uh, I'm, I mean, this is this is the hardest fight on the card to call just because we literally don't know what we're getting with Tate. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna go the route of she's taking this seriously. You know, she she wants to to make a run. She at least wants to to get into contention again. I mean, obviously it's Nunes who completely slaughtered her, still atop the division. That's still a terrible matchup, but. If she, if she gets through Renault and she looks like the old Tate, there are plenty of women in the top 10 she can beat. I mean, I'll probably be beating the drum for her to be in, like, the kind of 11 through 15 bubble list of the women's Bantamweight rankings if she does to Renault what I think she will. And what I think she's going to do to Renault is probably win all three rounds, get takedowns when she wants them, navigate danger, test the waters in the stand-up against someone in Renault who can defend herself but doesn't have, like, shocking knockout power, so Tate's not running into too much danger. Uh, just Misha Tate fights a smart fight. Uh, again, wins all three rounds. It'll be a sad farewell for Marion Renault. A happy welcome back for Misha Tate, who, I mean, she she's she's a star, or she was a star. I'm kind of surprised how quietly uh, this is going. But, uh, you know, expect the UFC hype engine to rev up behind her if she looks good. Yeah, uh, I'm really surprised by it, too. Like, I... I understand that they didn't want to make it a five-round fight to make it the main event. Like, I get that. But if you're not going to make it the main event, like you better off put it on last week's card. Like You better put it on Connor's card, get some more eyeballs. Because you're right. Misha Tate is, like, one of the most popular female. I mean, besides Ronda Rousey, who's been more popular than Misha Tate? There's those two, Carano and Cyborg. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I guess Manny Nunez maybe at this point, but at probably this point. not. Probably, yeah, probably not. But I mean, she's she anyway. She's up there for popularity, and I mean, she's a good-looking girl, so that and girls. Nunes has beat them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I mean, um, yeah. I, while you were talking, I was looking at the uh, the bantamweight rankings, and you're like, like the our number fifteen right now is Tracy Cortez. Like, if she beats Myra now, like I could, I'm not saying she'd beat Tracy Cortez or whatever, but like there is an argument for one win, and she's back in that top fifteen rankings. Uh, so, which is crazy when you think and that, you know, that shows you how shallow the division is, but it's crazy to think we're like one win in four and a half years. Uh, so I'll say this about Misha Tate. 
I, I recently interviewed Misha Tate, and she was one of the like just one of these people like instantly I just hit it off with like just one of the nicest, just 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 a great person. Which is gonna pain me to say some negative things about her right now. I always thought that she was more tough than good. Like I never saw like skills that really jump off the page. Like she was kind of flat footed on the feet, kind of slow. I, I was watching her fight against Raquel Pennington. She was just really telegraphing her shots. Only throw one strike at a time. I like that she went to the target. I mean, what did she target the body? But there was like there was any like there was no threat there when she went down. Uh, defensively, she was a very stationary target. Didn't really move her head. She had no answer for Raquel Pennington's jab. Uh, she was competitive when she grinded against the fence. She's always had good clinch striking, and she, as you mentioned, she's a very good grappler. She's a good wrestler. She's relentless with her takedowns. Good at cutting the corner. She got good entries. You know, she can shoot. Um, even the times when she was in bad position against Pennington, she she drove through and kind of got herself in okay. She never, like, won positions, but she got herself in, like, a better position than she was. Uh, she gets taken down. You saw her against, like, Holly Holm. She has good top control, good back takes. She has seven submission wins in her career, including when she won the title by submission. Uh, defensively, she's extremely – she's insane. I don't know. Insanely tough when you go back to the, like her first Ronda Rousey fight where she was willing to break her arm, the tap, and that's when the fight wasn't even that big. That's when it was in strike force, like it wasn't, you know, headlining UFC pay per views, didn't have a reality show behind it. They didn't you know, hate each other yet. They didn't hate each other. That's another point, you know. Um, she was probably at that point, that actually was what really made Ronda's name at that point. Like they were probably equal name value at that time. Um, but I don't know if that's the same person we saw four and a half years ago. Uh, she looked really tired against Raquel Pennington. She looked mentally broke. It was a close fight heading into thir- third round. You could argue it was 1-1. Might have been 2 nothing depending, but it could have been 1-1. And she really needed the third round, and she jumps guard to start the round. Uh, just seemed really weird to me. Now you move over to Renault. On the feet, she's mostly a boxer. But she's got some pretty good snap on her shots. Uh, she really steps in her into her shots to draw power. I think she's got good movement. She's more of a uh, slip and rip counter striker. Uh, her her dipping, she likes to dip to the left and, and and counter left hook is her best punch. But she struggled in the clinch against Yana Kuniskaya and Raquel Pennington. That's a position that Misha Tate can't have success against her. She can sneak in and take down herself, but I wouldn't say she's a very uh, technical wrestler. But you mentioned she is a submission threat. She has. Uh, three submissions on her record, uh, and she can find some submissions off her back. And she also has never been submitted in her career, which is which is really nice going against uh, a grappler as Misha Tate. Now, it's been so long. I was like something caught my eye when I was watching the Raquel Pennington fight. Misha Tate's two cornermen for that fight was Brian Caraway and Rob Follis. Brian Caraway was her boyfriend at the time, who she's now broken up. Uh, and she now has a baby with somebody else. And right. obviously Ro- Rob Fallis has tragically passed away. Yeah, I don't know why I'm mentioning this. I'm just saying, like, that's how much times have passed since she last fought. She looked so bad when she left. I don't just simply expect her to be somehow better four and a half years later. Now, I when we talked when I interviewed her and that was right, it was like right before she announced that she was coming back. 
Uh, I made a joke about her coming back. Like, that son of a bitch should give me the news then. But uh, I I understand that personal life can have a major impact on your fighting. And, and she's clearly uh, seems like she's in a much better place now than she was then. Uh, she obviously be more well rested. Hopefully any injuries, any lingering injuries would be gone. However, I don't think the prime Misha Tate was that good. And I kind of feel like she was right place, right time kind of girl. And I think Renault wins. You know, it would shock me if Misha Tate takes her down and grinds her victory. No. But guys, I've only made one upset pick. And you guys know me. I ain't scared to make another one. So I'll give you another upset pick. Give me give me Mario Renault. Not only do I think Mario Renault is going to ruin Misha Tate's comeback, I think she's going to do it badly. Like, I think it's going to be one of those sad comebacks. I think she's going to beat her up. Maybe put her on, like, at one point, Misha Tate's going to be on her back, and Mario Renault is going to be teeing off her. I think, actually, the Mario Renault might get a, take, uh, get a TKO. Give me Mario Renault by second-round TKO. Woo! All right. So, uh, Keith is calling for the the Matt Wyman type of uh, comeback from a, from a long layoff. Yeah, that's a good example. Like, I don't know if it'd be as bad as Matt Wyman, but that's a pretty good example. All right. We definitely have some dissension on the co-main event, so uh, make sure to check out the uh, recap immediately after this card on Saturday so we can see who is laughing. Yeah, who would, who would have guessed that Misha Tate, though, is 10 years younger than Mario Renault? Like, you leave this ball for four and a half years, and you're still only 34. Like, that that gave me some, like, pause. Like, wow, she's only 34. Like, I expected it to be so much. I thought it would be, like, 38. Yeah, I, I mean... Renault's almost almost her like entire UFC career has taken place while Moltate was gone. Like yeah, it, it's it's That's nuts. True. That brings us to the main event, a lightweight matchup between Islam Makachev and Tiago Moises. Makachev, the 29-year-old Dagestani by way of American Kickboxing Academy, is 19 and one overall. He is eight and one in the UFC. He is currently on a seven-fight winning streak uh, over Chris Wade, Nick Lentz, Glyson Tebow, Cajun Johnson, Armand Sarukian, Davi Hamosh, and most recently, uh, back in March at UFC 259, Drew Dober, uh, whom he routed on the ground and finally finished with an arm triangle choke in the third. He'll be taking on Moises, the 26-year-old Brazilian uh, product of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil is 15 and four overall. He's four and two in the UFC. Uh, he's on a three fight winning streak. Most recently, he took a unanimous decision over Alexander Hernandez at UFC Fight Night Rosenstrike versus Gone in uh, February. He won two fights last year defeating Michael Johnson by a second-round Achilles lock after uh, having a pretty rough first round and taking a unanimous decision over Bobby Green on the Halloween Fight Night card. Uh, Makachev, as we uh, spoke about off the top, one of the bigger uh, betting favorites you will ever see on uh, in a UFC main event, not named Shevchenko or Nunez. He is minus 600 right now. Uh, you can get Moises plus 450 uh, as the substantial underdog. Uh, I will toss this one to you first, I think, but just a lot of fighters like to claim nobody wants to fight me. Everyone's ducking me. It's, I mean, it's a cliche. 
Uh, I look no further than last week where, you know, Sean O'Malley, like, pieced up Chris Moutinho while, like, just literally half the UFC Bantamweight division was jumping up and down in their seats like contestants on The Price is Right, like, hoping yeah. to get called down. Uh, I believe it when when they say it about Makachev. He's got that that Dagestani, there is no upside to fighting me vibe about him because, I mean— Ironically, given the fact that his one loss is just, you know, getting caught with a single huge punch and finished, he's not a guy that's going to lose in a stupid way. Like that guy that that happened to almost six years ago. Now, that guy doesn't exist anymore. You know, they're these Dagestanis, especially the ones that come through, a.k.a. They're just airtight guys. You're going to lose. It's going to be miserable. You know, five five rounds is going to feel like five weeks with this dude on top of you. Uh, if you give him your neck, he's going to take it and choke you out. If you don't give him your neck, you get the moral victory of just losing five rounds. Uh, I can believe that nobody wants to fight this guy. So credit to Moises for stepping up. And as much as I'll snipe at the UFC's matchmaking, I think this is just him. This is just them doing what they can to get this guy active when he's available. Because the other thing he unfortunately has in common with Khabib Nurmagomedov is he disappears for quite a while and never fights more than about twice a year. How do you, I mean, how do you see this one going? What are the avenues to victory for Moises? How, who do you think wins and what do you think is next for Makachev? So you made a great, really great point about, you know, nobody wanted to fight this guy. You know, this guy's been in the UFC since 2015. He's been in the UFC for six years. How many guys have called him out? Can you remember? Uh, Kevin Kevin Lee? Yeah. That's, I, <coughs> excuse me. I don't remember anybody else. I mean, I, you know, credit to every single guy who stepped up and has fought him. Um, I think maybe Drew Dober might have actually asked for it, maybe, in his last fight or just... You know, at the but, very least, Dober, you know Dober accepted without accepted. even a second yeah. thought as soon as yeah, they yeah, offered yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But... There's not many guys, like, when guys are like, oh, he want to call out, and they're calling out guys in the top 10. And think about how long he's been ranked in the top 10. When you're calling out t- guys in the top 10, like, yes, you know, I want to fight everybody above me except for number four, you know, whatever whatever ranking he is, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, it's not, it's not, that's not the guy you want. Like, just, just like, yeah, I'll take uh, this guy and this guy, just name everybody except for him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I get it. Like, you talk, like, we think about, I, we've talked about before. Like I said, one of the worst feelings in the world must be being chest to chest with Kamar Usman when he's got, mm-hmm. you know, you both got an underhook and he's just pushing you against the cage and ripping punch after punch in your ribs. Like, what would what would the feeling be against Habib or or Islam when they got you on on their back and and you're pressed against the cage and kind of sitting on your butt and they have your, your legs wrapped yeah. up in that little where both your legs are in between their legs in that mm-hmm. triangle. And you yep. can't move, like imagine that feeling. Imagine that feeling. It's a, it's only the first round. You already can't move, and you know you got five more rounds of this. Like that. I, the mental fortitude to even get through that must be insane. Uh, so let's talk about let's talk about Makhachev. So Southpaw, uh, really well rounded. Like we're talking about his wrestling, but his striking has come a long way. He's really elusive. He's been using feints really well. He is he's he's a counter striker and his his counter left, his power left is is really a good strike. He does it, he likes to counter, not so much where he like even though he feints, not so much to draw the attack. He tries to beat you to the punch. 
Like you go to step in and he throws a left trying to beat you. And most time he does beat you. Better uh, better boxer than Khabib at this point, isn't he? Oh, wait a bit. I, yeah, yeah okay. well, I, I would, well, yes, yes, he's a better boxer. But I always thought Khabib didn't get enough credit for his striking. I always thought he was a much better striker than people would give him credit for. But that's, we'll go on another rant for that. It's just, sometimes we're just such a good grappler. Everyone forgets, like, everyone forgets that, like, hey, Habib outstruck Ayakunta. Pretty much didn't use his wrestling. Uh, uh, but he, he, even though he got, he, he's a great striker, he did get rocked briefly by Davi Hamos. But in f- five years, six years, whatever it is, that's, like, the only negative you can say about him. That he briefly was rocked by Davi Hamos. Uh, he also can have low output. He, can, he tends to cruise a little bit on his feet. But uh, a lot of kicks, those good, good kicks, good, dirty boxing. But when you talk about his wrestling, his wrestling is elite. Uh, incredible entries, uh, incredible takedown defense if you try to take him down. If he's in the clinch, foot sweeps. He has like a much, he's got a very judo game to his. Like he gets unhooks and all of a sudden, next minute, you know, nice, beautiful switch, foot sweep. But his elite entries, chain wrestles together. Great in scrambles. You want to see a really fun scramble game? Watch him win scrambles against uh, Armin Sarukian in, in their fight. That was just an absolute thing of beauty. Smothering top control. Like he, I don't think he gets – I wouldn't say it's Habib's uh, – it's not Habib's ground and pound, but it is Habib's control. Like he really controls you. Uh, I, uh, let's take one. Let's – Let's give Habib the top level. And then, like, one step below when they call it the top control, like, Islam's right there. Really good ground and pound. Again, like, one or two levels behind Habib. But he's, like, on his way. He's really getting there. You know, you move over to Tiago Moises. We talked about how how much Islam Makhachev's striking has improved. So has Tiago Moises recently. Uh, he's he's just, you know, basic boxing, you know, one-two combinations, left hook off of it. But he's really improved his hand speed. He's got some solid power, good kicks. He attacks both high and low. But I think the biggest improvement that I've seen in just his last couple fights is he's starting to build confidence in the striking. He's starting to feel comfortable in the striking. And that's why he's doing well in the striking. And, and confidence comes such a long way. But as far as grappling goes, he's he's decent entries, not not elite. He kind of just shoots and, and he stops. He gets stuck under. But he just sometimes he just wants to create a scramble even if he's on bottom because he's got slick submissions he's got six submission wins uh he loves to drop down on ankles we saw him catch michael johnson with an ankle lock almost caught bobby green in their fight so as far as prediction goes this is actually one like my my smaller breakdowns because i feel like it's a really easy fight to pick i mean you talk about the odds we talked we opened the show negative 650 FanDuel, negative 850 i mean You've got to favor Makashev in this fight. I think it can be competitive on the feet. I still favor Makashev. Uh, but when they grapple, I favor Makashev's elite wrestling over Moises' submission game. Uh, Moises is a very good grappler. But Makashev, he's got he's to smother him. He's got to wear him out. He's got to dominate the positions. He's going to land ground and pound. He's going to put him in bad positions before he lands the ground and pound. Where he, you know, Makashev, where... Moises can't really move his hips, kind of trap him against the cage, so he can't swing his hips around, look for arm bars, look for triangles, look for sweeps. You know, he's got to press, put him in those positions where he can't. And I think he's going to do this for a while, wears him out. I think it, the rounds get, you know, the gap between the two of them gets bigger and bigger. And I actually think Moxie might even get on his finish. Give me a fourth round TKO, ground and pound. 
Yeah. Uh, agreed on all counts. I mean, the the line looks ridiculous, but it's not just, you know, their relative standing in the division, but it, it is that Moise's best routes to victory are just not things that happen to Makachev. Uh, like, you know, grabbing an Achilles lock, that's not going to, that's not going to happen to him. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he's been an improving striker, but a year ago, Michael Johnson pieced him up in the first round. Like, you know, outstruck him badly, hurt That's him a couple point. times. I mean, it wasn't a 10-8 round, but it, yeah, it was point. it was about as good a first round as Michael Johnson has had in a while. Like, he just looked really sharp, and then, of course, and the wheels fell off the wagon 20 seconds into the second round because Michael Johnson. But <laughs> That should become a but, verb. Michael Johnson should become a verb. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and then he Michael Johnson. Uh, Makachev does not Michael Johnson. Uh, that's you know that that's as as uh, simply as I can put it. Uh, Moises hasn't yet been finished, even though he's you know he's been in trouble in his career. He is a tough guy. Hard to believe he's only twenty six. Like he may continue improving for several years to come, but this will always be a terrible matchup for him, and it's an absolutely dreadful one this uh, weekend. Uh, give me Makachev by unanimous decision. I believe he wins all five rounds. I could see there being some 10 eights in there. Just one of the rounds where he takes them down within the 30, within the first 30 seconds. So Moises like goes a whole round without even landing a strike and just Makachev is mauling him the whole time. Like that kind of 10 eight. Uh, and then Makachev survives and advances. And what I was kind of uh, saying when we started talking about this fight, nobody wants to fight him, but he's getting to the point where people are going to have to fight him from here. It's, he almost has to fight a top five type fighter yeah. next there. Yeah. You know who might have to fight him? Might be the champion, <laughs> like, soon. I'm not saying he gets the night. Obviously, Dustin Poirier but, does. But, but, like, number one contender, contender matchup? Like absolutely. I mean, because there's a big knot of people ahead of him. But that big knot of people, a lot of them have already fought each other. That's right. Like, it's it's fortunate that Oliveira actually hasn't fought most of the other guys. Because otherwise, right. you know, it's a big, twisty uh, thing. But, yeah, this, this is going to be a... That. You're looking at his next fights being Gaethje, Chandler, one of these guys. I, I love how we're we're so confident we're already matchmaking his next fight. <laughs> what, 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 I wait wait till we start the recap show about Tiago Moises and a huge upset. Uh, I'll I'll put a clip of this. I'll slip a clip of yeah, this into it. Like, yes, if it happens, we gotta eat we gotta eat some crow. All right, so there you go. Uh, 11 fights up, 11 down at UFC on ESPN 26. Uh, this has been the SureDog Radio preview. I'm Ben Duffy. He's Keith Schillen. Uh, please do enjoy your week. Enjoy the fights. And check us out immediately after the main event, either through the SureDog.com front page or simply go directly to the SureDog YouTube page where we will have a live recap, react to all of these fights, whether we were right, wrong, things we learned, um, we take your questions, your comments, certainly come and let us have it. If, uh, you know, we counted chickens before they hatched and, you know, Moises is your, is your new number six, you know, lightweight in, in the world come Sunday morning. But, uh, thank you very much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>